Ciao. Ciao. Jalo Chow Chow Podcast has returned. What have I done to you? What do you want from me? We want you to listen. We want you to subscribe. And we want you to join our Facebook group. Do you know how to do those things? I don't know. I don't know anything. Well then, it seems we have no choice. <laughs> Ciao, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Jallo Chow Chow podcast. This is volume two, episode 14, where we ask the question, can you still swim effectively without bending your elbows? <laughs> My name is Chris, and I run a little website called thejalloscore.com, and today we're going to talk about the film Interrobang, which is Italian for Interrobang, but more on that later. Joining me today on what will be his sixth episode in a row, all the way from Italy, is Al. Hey, Al, how are you? Ciao, ciao. Did I say, oh, I did say ciao, ciao. <laughs> Once again, Matt is not able to join us. We really uh, miss him very much. He's got a lot of stuff going on in his part of the world, and we hope that he will be back soon to be a third voice in this crazy world of Jallo podcasting. Uh, until then, um, Al and I will do our best to honor his presence without him actually being here. So first thing I wanted to say um, real quick, <laughs> I've already done it a bunch of times. I spent the last month or so, I think the last time we re we recorded was we did Black Veil for Lisa and I published it maybe two or three weeks after we, we recorded it. So we haven't recorded anything for about a month. And over that last month, I went back and listened to the old podcasts, the volume one podcasts, because I wanted to see what it was like, how it's different than what we're doing now. And if there's anything that I can take from it that I would do better or that I was doing better that I'm not doing as well now um 
<laughs> and one of the things I noticed is that I've got a lot of ums and a lot of uhs when I talk. And these are usually obviously subconscious ticks. You know, I don't even really use or really realize that I'm saying um most of the time until after it comes out of my mouth. And then I expect that it has something to do with I'm trying to think of the next word, but I want to fill the silence with some sort of noise. And so as a result, I say, um, so I'm going to try, ladies and gentlemen, to talk a little bit more slowly um, <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that I can pronounce my words a little bit more properly and a little bit more um <laughs> there it is again so i'm yeah. we're not going to do a bell because i'm sure i won't be able to get rid of all of my ums today but i am going to try to pay attention to them anyway not a huge deal but something i noticed um <laughs> i also I noticed listened, oh go ahead go ahead i listened back to the first couple and probably even the last one uh the well the ones that i was on and I notice that my little tick is ending a sentence with, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I noticed that the earlier episodes are ones where I had to kind of relax myself with the uh, JB, J and B assistance. It, it got worse as the hours went on, you know, <laughs> but see, I just did it. Damn. It's, I mean, it's hard to talk about anything for three or four hours without, you know, your mouth getting tired and your brain getting tired and your verbal dexterity kind of slipping. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, I will try to work on that because when I listen back to him, I cringe every time I do it. And I'm thinking, oh, man, my my mass communications teachers at college would <laughs> smack me on the wrist with a ruler. You know, <laughs> there I go. Anyway, there, there's your but but he the 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 thing that's better in your case is that it's only one per sentence. Whereas if I, um, you know, um, try to, um, you know, there's so many ums and right. I, I have a, a, a friend that I work with also who says, you know, and sometimes when we have a conference call, I'll just start counting how many, you knows I get <laughs> before we actually get to what he was trying to say. Um, right. Yeah, so there's my um. There's you. We could call this episode 14, um, you know, but right. At any rate, yeah, the verbal tick episode. <laughs> I noticed also on the earlier ones, I would start a lot of sentences with "well," you know, like you or Matt would ask me a question, and kind of like my verbal placeholder. Yeah. Before I get my thought formed, I'd just kind of revert to "well," and then spit out something, and then mm -hmm. end it with "you know." <laughs> and I one of my guilty pleasures is watching The Bachelor starting like every January when the new season comes out. OK. And it drives me nuts how many of these girls and lately even some of the bachelors themselves, they do the like tick. Oh, yeah. Right. Like in every sentence they're saying like like four mm -hmm. or five times and. As much as that irritates me, when I listen to myself saying, well, uh, you know, and, and just, <laughs> I feel like a total hypocrite. <laughs> um, see, I, and I just did an um. Matt yeah. is the likes. If you go back and listen to the old cut podcast, he does a lot, a lot of likes. Um, <laughs> but the other thing that I've noticed 
that has been brought to my attention through various places in the media is that the women on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, mm-hmm. it's usually The Bachelor because there's multiple women on The Bachelor, um, right. they all have this what they call vocal fry where they end a sentence and it, uh, it's kind of uh, – Yeah, it's so, it's it's so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a – a couple of managers and people I work with that are female that do that. And it's, it drives me nuts. I have to put my, my microphone on mute and I just go, uh, <laughs> while they're talking, it's terrible. But anyway, if you're listening, you don't care about any of this. You jalo. Um <laughs> But what I want to do is go back and and highlight a couple of other things I noticed about the old podcasts that I found interesting. The first one is that we interacted with the group a little bit more back then. And I want to try to do that again. So one of the things that Matt and I and Eric used to do is – we would pick three films and then we would put a poll on the Facebook group and say, this is Matt's pick. This is Eric's pick. This is Chris's pick. Everybody vote. And then the next three episodes of the podcast were done in the order in which the voting occurred. And then after we got through a series of 10, we would do a ranking of our favorites of the last 10. And then we would ask the audience to do the same thing. So, um, there's my, um, I want to try to do that a little bit more often and see if we can get uh, a little bit more participation from, from the group there, because I remember the Facebook group used to be a little bit more active than it is now. And a lot of people have moved over to the Jollaholics page because there's a lot more people there. I do remember when you guys would do the, uh, you'd each nominate one film and then people in the group would vote for it. And then mm-hmm. you do the top 10 of the last 10. I remember those episodes. I think it wouldn't be too bad to go back to that. Yeah. I, and I had forgotten really that we did that, but I went back and I listened to the episodes that were somewhere in the thirties and forties. I listened to Leorm or Leorme. Mm-hmm. I listened to uh, don't torture a duckling and you're the one that you requested, which was so sweet, so dead. The other thing that I'm glad we don't do anymore is uh, I think Matt used to do the post-production and he would put a sound bed underneath the discussion of yeah. the soundtrack. And sometimes mm-hmm. it was either too loud or it was just jarring and you couldn't really concentrate on what we were talking about because it was like there's this one soundtrack from Perversion Story or one on top of the other with this really loud, crazy horn section jazz ensemble. Um, yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah. it's If you remember the film, it's the opening credits. Like, they've got this helicopter shot of the Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz and stuff. And this blaring horns. <laughs> Every once in a while, you're listening to us talk about a film. Then you hear all of this, these trumpets come in. And it's like, ugh. 
Well, speaking of loud horns as the the underlayer or the audio carpet for the podcast, I as soon as you mentioned horns, I thought of Blood and Black Lace mm-hmm. because there's that one trumpet theme that just keep. It seemed like during the podcast, it was just on. Well, it was on a loop, but it yes. was really hard to tune out. <laughs> and then not only that, by the end of the podcast, I'd tell myself, you know, consciously, I'm so sick of that song. I'm never I'm not going to watch that movie again for 10 years. And then I go to bed and I wake up and that it's stuck in my head. And the next day yeah. I'm walking around and I'm humming it to myself and I'm just <laughs> kicking, you know, and. <laughs> but I, I think it's better to not have something so prominent as an audio carpet. I've heard other podcasts that do it, but they'll have like something just kind of atmospheric and washy, right. you know, so something more subtle. But yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, sometimes I feel as if there's something missing that the the the, the audio space is too sparse with just mm-hmm two voices going back and forth and there's no reverb. Um, but at the same time, you gotta be really careful what you put in the background. If it's some sort of ambient, you know, music that really doesn't have many dynamics to it, that may work. But then again, you know, there aren't that many Jolly that are like that. I mean, you could probably get some of the, instrumental parts from say some of the Ennio Morricone stuff that's just a little bit jarring but it's for the most part it's not jarring but it's like um it's a little bit more on the atonal side of atmospheric classical but uh you know I I think erring on the side of no nothing in in the background is probably the best thing And, and the other one that I heard at least six times in one podcast was the the Italian song <clears throat> that's featured in don't torture a duckling in the scene where the, I forget the character's name, but she's like the, the town witch and the, the, the group of, of men whose is were, were murdered. They go out because they think she's the murderer and they all take kind of like this revenge uh, on her by beating her up mm-hmm. and, She's bloody and she's crawling and she's trying to get up to the highway and they're playing this song. It's like a ballad. And this woman is singing like, and I don't know the words, but I swear it's like it played like six or seven times in the background of the podcast while we were talking. (laughs) And it's just, it was so annoying. I'm like, Oh no, not again. Um, So anyway, that was uh, not not to not to disparage any of the of the stuff that Matt and, and Eric did. I, I don't want to talk critically about them with them not being here to defend themselves. But that was definitely well, one I, of the things I noticed. I, I kind of forgot about that particular song, because when I think of the music from Don't Torture Duckling, I think about the music that they start blasting out of their car stereo or something as they're beating her. And right. Some sort of like high energy rock song that just does not fit. Right. I think the mood of what's happening. Uh, so I, I guess I was still in such uh, audio shock from hearing that, that by the time she's crawling out to the highway, I'm just glad it's over. And my ears are kind of shut down for a break. Yeah. 
Well, that's they start that, and it's really an an an, an uh, it's really an interesting point to bring up with that film because I feel like Jalo films in general do this thing where they switch from diegetic to non-diegetic music a lot. Um, right. You'll hear the soundtrack. A perfect example. Recently, I watched Tenebrae. Um, because I hadn't seen it in so long and I have a Blu-ray copy and I'm watching it. And there's the scene where the music is playing. It's like that main theme. Bah, 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 bah. And the camera is going up and it goes over the apartment and it comes back down the same other side. And it was that mm-hmm. big famous Luma crane shot that they talked about. And right. then they cut to one of the two women who lives in the apartment. And there's like the sound of breaking glass and all of a sudden she takes the needle off the record and the music that we were hearing this whole time stops. And it's, they do that a lot in shallow films. I don't know if this is just a technique that they used in all of, you know, foreign or Italian films from that time period, but I really like how they do that. But in don't torture, they start with turning on this really loud funk rock kind of song that sounds like it should be from America, but I don't know where it came from. And they use that to drown out the sound of them beating her up. But then you hear the radio announcer come in and make some announcements. I think it's in Italian. And then they start playing this ballad while they're still beating her up. And then she, you know, they leave and she's kind of crawling and she's Mm -hmm. trying to get back up to the, to the highway and the music, playing and i don't know at that point whether the guys who came to beat her up left the scene and if that was the case then the music should go away and it doesn't so it's like it's another one of those interesting where they blur the lines of where where's the sound coming from where's the music coming from so right but we're and the only way it would make sense is if one of them was slowly following behind her in a cinquecento (laughs) as he's going (laughs) right and somehow yes, exactly. they, they can catch it in the shot, you know. But and they've got some yeah, sort it, of megaphone on top of the car and they're blaring this music <laughs> as they follow her down the street, you know. And there's a marching band following her and some woman <laughs> singing. Nobody <laughs> wants to stop to help because the song right. sounds so good. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Right before the podcast, I checked the email addresses to see if we've gotten any comments. I checked the podcast review review pages to see if we've gotten any comments. And I noticed that I got a an email receipt for another year of hosting at Podbean. So, ladies and gentlemen, whether you like it or not, <laughs> the Jalo Chow Chow podcast will live on for at least another year. It doesn't necessarily mean we'll do any more episodes, but, you know, the the, the podcast will be available for another year. And you have you have 12 <laughs> months to download the back catalog. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I did want to uh, read a review that um, it's it's not complimentary. Let's put it that way. And uh-huh. it's it's 
better or worse, depending on your point of view, than us being called wankers. Um, because <laughs> this actually has some detail in it. Well, and I want, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, d- detail is good. It, there's constructive criticism here, but there's also, you know, it, it kind of the review kind of alludes to the fact that um, this is not an academic podcast and it's not a polished and professional one either. And I'd like to just reiterate what Matt said the last time he was on the podcast, which is, hey, we're basically three guys or two guys, depending on when he's around, that like Jalo films and have nobody else to talk to about them. And <laughs> we just decided that we'd, re- we'd record these and put them out for consumption. So the fact that we've already been talking this t- today for over 20 minutes and we haven't started even to talk about Jalo films or the film we're going to talk about today is another indicator that you know you've stumbled upon something very informal if this is your first go round of listening to us but um let me read this review and it's fairly recent it's from May of 2022 so this comes um let's see this comes after Deadly Inheritance was released but before Hyena in a Safe was released, just to give you some context. Okay. So the title of the the title of the review is Fans but Not Experts. Mm. And the this was uh we, we got three stars out of five, which is you know, three stars out of five is better than average, so I'll take that. And then um it's Roger LBR is the username. So Roger LBR, and I'm assuming this is a, a male, but just because Roger is a male's name, but I, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions. Uh, he, Roger writes, this might be called an old school podcast. You know, the kind we used to listen to 10 years ago in which a couple of slightly or very drunk dudes chatted up about a topic they barely know for over two hours. These depend on the charm and chemistry of the speakers. Well, this podcast certainly, the guys crack each other up. They have nice turns of phrase they keep it moving on a rather slow, rambling pace, especially in the chatting first 45 minutes or so. I think this I think what I just read is the complimentary part. And what I'm about to read is <laughs> the but uh, the main problem I have here is the guys don't really seem to know more than the bare minimum of the genre. Kind of taking umbrage with that. But let's move on. They get names wrong. They pull from sometimes slightly mixed memories. They don't make the connections and give little more insight than a couple of your friends yammering on the couch. Isn't that the chick from quote dot, dot, dot. That's the vibe. I get it. But when they often resort to simply describing the plot of the film scene, you have to reconsider if it's worth three hours of your time. (laughs) This might be good for people who have never watched the film. Uh, next paragraph, (laughs) a secondary problem is that they are often dismissive of things that they don't understand or like a carefully constructed procedural like bloodstained butterfly is dismissed as unclear when to any careful viewer, it is anything, but they also have unkind for Susan Scott and Anita Strindberg, two impressive (laughs) and important figures in seventies jolly. Come on guys. Really? You're going to body shame or dismiss two important female figures in the genre that often prided itself with depicting progressive and centralized versions of female agency 
and usually in a horror context, question mark, isn't there something worth talking about besides their looks, question mark? Uh, and then he writes, a little too adolescent, a little too thin on insight. So <laughs> I wish Matt was on this <laughs> with this one because I'm sure he'd have a lot to say. Um, what I would like to say is that most of that is pretty fun, except for the fact that I think that simply getting to the point where we've released 80 plus episodes kind of mm -hmm. makes us a little bit more knowledgeable about the subject than we would be if this is our first time or second time doing a show. Um, right. And I, when I think back to the old podcast, and I don't know if you remember, Al, or not, us talking about uh, Susan Scott or Anita Strindberg recently. So I don't know if this particular person went back and listened to some of the older podcasts where we talked about those actresses. But yeah, I would think that those are older episodes because I don't think they've been I don't think either one of them have been in movies since I've joined the podcast. Right. So but but I mean, we, may we have, might have I, referred I, to them. Yeah. I may have brought up the fact that um Matt refers to Susan Scott as butthole face. So uh -huh. you know and <laughs> It's just for effect, honestly. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the the criticisms that are in this particular review could really be viewed as what makes it enjoyable for other people. So, you know, I kind of that's that's kind of the hill I'm going to stand on for this. It's like, yes, we are not well researched. We try our best to Google and, you know, way through some of the background in, information about the film before we start doing it. We have been spending a lot of time doing scene by scene. And uh, just to go back to the previous discussion of what I noticed from the old podcasts is that somebody would pick a film and whoever's pick it was we would start the discussion by kind of describing the plot. And then the person who picked it would start the discussion of this is what I liked about it. This is some of the scenes I want to kind of call out and discuss. And there was definitely a different kind of a flow to the podcast when we did it that way. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of the people that listen to us say they like doing scene by scene. But I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I can't imagine why anyone would want to listen to us do scene by scene. If they haven't watched the movie yet. That's true. Um, just from my own personal uh, listening to different podcasts, uh, one that I've mentioned before, the Nashy cast, they often do scene by scene. And if you know, they'll get to a certain point and say, OK, anything from here on is going to be spoilers. And very often, I'd say probably 80 percent of the time I would listen to them. I would listen to them doing scene by scenes about movies that I haven't watched yet. And that was enjoyable to me because a lot of his films were hard to find or before they started coming out on Blu-ray, almost impossible to find. And it didn't 
really spoil it for me because by the time I did get my hands on a copy, I'd already forgotten the ending that they described right. in the podcast. So for me, it was kind of a way to listen to a movie through their filter, you know, their personalities and insights. And if it was a film that I had seen, I would enjoy it just as much. I do wonder. Uh, I don't. I don't know. It. Part of me wants to say that if somebody is interested in a movie podcast about a film that they haven't seen, uh, it's probably because they're thinking about seeing it and they just want to get a general reaction. Like, is this worth seeing or not? Right. And they could probably figure that out within you know the first half of the podcast. Right. If they're the type that doesn't want to hear people talking about a movie they haven't seen, then that probably explains some of the dips in the download numbers between the episodes that, uh, that have been done since I came aboard. But except for the fact that <laughs> a hyena in a safe has the most downloads out of anything that we've done since you started. And it's not a film that I had even ever heard of before. Well, know? I thought it was naked. You die part two, but Oh wait, you know, you might be right either way. Um, I mean, I did notice there's a drop off for deadly inheritance and yeah. I think I hadn't even heard of that until maybe a, a year before we covered it. Um, and you know, like I said, one time in, in one of the past episodes, if we cycle back around to kind of do a redemption review or redemption podcast of the more popular titles like bird or deep red or duckling and things like that, I think the, the downloads would spike compared to things like Intera bang <laughs> stuff that oh. probably nobody's heard of. But um, I don't, there are other Jalo podcasts, and I listen to, well, every one that I find, I listen to at least a couple episodes. And there are some that are very short and concise and very academic. You know, they'll explain to you the uh, the influence of second wave feminism on the female protagonist and how they're portrayed in the plot. And boring, you know. <laughs> If I want something academic, I'll sign up for a film class. I right. I just much more enjoy people sitting and talking about the movies. And to reference it as an old school podcast from 10 years ago, I mean, I would dare say that Jalo Chow Chow is the longest running Jalo centered podcast that there is. And neither one of us was there when it started. And right. I think that. <laughs> Uh, the original idea was a couple friends with a kind of punk rock ethos sitting around talking about these movies. Right. And it's kind of continued, you know, it, it might have shifted a little bit in uh, different aspects since the, the personnel changes have happened over the years. But I don't see the benefit of you know, crunching it down to one hour where we only talk about the film. And as far as being experts, I mean, this isn't the, it's not quantum physics. (laughs) These aren't even, uh, how much more do you need to know? We know most of the actors, we know most of the directors. 
And when we say, oh, this is a guy that directed this, we know that. And we were familiar with the names of the composers and the screenwriters. And I, I, I don't get that comment at all. Because yeah. one of the uh, podcasts that I listen to, uh, well, Jalo podcasts that I've kind of had a curiosity checked out, almost every one of their episodes is an hour. And they are two guys who are, uh, let's say they aspire to careers or bigger careers in the entertainment industry. They spend a lot of time talking about stuff that's nowhere near Jala related. And one of them likes to name drop celebrities that he bumped into when he was on his way to an audition or something, you know, and their knowledge of the genre, it sounds like they saw somewhere that, you know, Jalo is pretty popular and decided let's do a podcast about that. And they are total Dario Argento bootlickers. And anytime they talk about a movie that's not Argento, they spend half the episode talking about how it's not Argento. <laughs> and I wonder, is that the kind of expertise uh, Mr. or Miss Roger is looking for? Because he can go over there. And sure. yeah, they have much more professional sounding audio i'm sure they uh spend you know 20 to 30 hours a week going through and removing all the ums and ahs and well you knows <laughs> and knock yourself out it's out there uh, i don't the think one- chow chow has ever presented itself as anything other than what it is yeah and, and, and let's also say that yes absolutely we love watching these films with somewhat of a critical eye, we like to pay attention to the the way that the scene is constructed visually. We like to pay attention to the way that the music is added or used in particular situations, just like we were just talking about diegetic sound. We like to compare the influence of, let's say, the Krimi or the uh, Hitchcock or the film noir devices on the giallo and talk about proto versus golden age and so on and so forth um but we also kind of know that these films are kind of silly you know and right so i mean they're silly in two different ways they're silly on the surface because of how old they are and the the conventions that are being used that would be considered normal you know in the late 1960s early 1970s compared to today but they're also silly you know they knew that they were silly to a certain extent i mean you can't have a a screenwriter or a director look at the plot for some of these films and say, oh, this is an airtight, you know, uh, thriller and it's, uh, it has no plot holes. You know, they, they knew that this stuff was, was silly. It was, it was an, an opportunity to kind of get as many, make as much money as possible from the mm-hmm. theater going audience as they could, um, if if you go back and listen to some of the historical stuff that I think Matt was uh, would describe in in the old episodes, you know you have these 
filmmakers, uh, people in the film are kind of secondary support for the big name films. But then when those films weren't being worked on, they kind of were able to do their own thing and make their own movies. And these movies were released to kind of like the third run working class group of people. So again, mm-hmm. it's the age old discussion he's had about these films, which is they're meant to be silly. They're meant to be throwaway. They were never, they were never constructed or, or released in any sort of effort to be taken that seriously. And at the same time you watch them and you see that even though they weren't supposed to be taken seriously, they were made with a lot of, um, you know, expertise and technique and serious like filmmaking prowess. And Mm -hmm. that's what I think makes these films interesting and fun because you can watch strip nude for your killer and pay attention to all the dumb and silly things that are going on. Or you could pay attention to all of the very like well-made and well thought out, you know, filmmaking techniques that were, were used in the film. And so, it's it's that's kind of why these discussions are like that. At least I think that, you know, the way that well, it, if I'm being honest, when I first listened to the first couple of episodes that uh, that Matt and Eric did before I was even involved in the podcast, because they had asked me to come on as a guest, I listened to the first couple and I'm like, this is this is too long. These podcasts are too long. I really don't want to I don't want to hear somebody talk about Bird with the Crystal Plumage for longer than the actual running time of the movie. I just kind of yeah. wanted to, you know, like what you were basically saying, people who want kind of a succinct description and a little bit of an opinion or a review. And then once I started to kind of relax and kind of take a chill out, hey, we're all sitting in somebody's virtual living room with alcohol talking about these movies that are 50 and 60 years old i started to understand the vibe and you know the rest is history obviously but um you know it's it's to 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 your earlier point when i look through um a podcast that is let's say something that reviews either a film or something that's episodic or whatever I will mm-hmm. only listen to the episodes that I can relate to. So if it's a if it's some sort of movie podcast where they you know where they span all genres, I'm not going to go and listen to an episode of that podcast if it's a film that I've never seen before. That's right. the way that I approach listening to podcasts. It's like, oh yeah, I've seen um you know, I've seen Kubrick's uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna talk about that. Let me watch. Let me listen to that one. But I've I've never seen, let's say, Barry Lyndon. You know, for an example. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't I wouldn't listen to that particular episode. But that's that's kind of my the way I approach podcasts. And not everybody's like that. Like you were saying, Al, it's like some people may see, hey, we we covered a Black Veil for Lisa last week or last episode, and I've been really meaning to watch that one but i never have yet maybe i'll listen to this episode and see what they say about it but if that's the case and again going back to the whole idea of giallo films require you to keep some of the information from new viewers before they actually watch the film because you don't want it spoiled so Mm -hmm. 
you know, with some films, it's like there's really not a spoiler. Like you could have a, a, an in-depth discussion about stage fright Aquarius, which is the Michelle Suave film. Um, right. And nothing gets spoiled because we know who the killer is in the first five minutes. And it's more of a slasher film. Or even if you did like a Friday the 13th thing, like the first Friday the 13th was more of a giallo because we didn't really know who the killer was until the very end. But after that, you knew it was Jason. It's always Jason. So, right. I don't know. Uh, I, I, again, I appreciate any kind of crit- criticism of the podcast uh, because it means that someone is actually interested enough to take the time to say, hey, guys, I like this, but I don't like that. And there's always room for improvement. And um, but at the same time, you know, like, you know, you you make a good point now, which is that, you know, this particular podcast and the vibe that we're we're going for here is unique and it's not for everybody. And if you're interested in a more academic approach to the Jalo film in for in podcast form, I highly recommend um what was it called hypnotic crescendos no not that was that was the um that was the blog fragments of fear uh right unfortunately fragments of fear hasn't been uh updated in a while the last one they did was back in july of last year so but they had 20 episodes and their take on their their specific flavor of the Jalo podcast is we're going to do the lesser known Jolly, mm-hmm. and uh, th- they're really well researched. Um, the production quality is really well done, and it's edited well. And I would recommend that uh, to somebody who is looking for something a little less informal or a little bit more formal, basically, than our podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that sucks is that you know they haven't kept up with it, and I really wish that they would because I enjoyed listening to it as well. Yeah. But I don't know about the other ones. I think there was one I I listened to a little bit called Jalo of the Month Club, um, which may have yeah. been the one that you were talking about. Yeah, I I think that was it. I think I was looking at the little thumbnail on my uh, pod player, and the only words I could see was Jalo Club, and I didn't right, right, notice right. the little of the month in the middle yeah i've, I've heard that one um i see there was another one i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head the the thing though about the ones that are only an hour and they're more academic i just i mean i i appreciate all that i've taken enough film classes at university to understand what they mean when they say that right but what I always found entertaining about Chow Chow before I ever became part of it was the kind of visceral reactions that people have or uh, the viewers who you know just happen to be guys more or less you know of my generation uh, talking about it and comparing it to other things and like when Matt would go off on a rant about somebody's carpet or wallpaper or the coat that she was wearing and she shouldn't kneel down like that on a stone floor because she'll scuff her leather boots you know to me that's that's fun (laughs) stuff like that yeah and um yeah it's a little i guess 
immature at times. And, you know, I've been guilty of that since I've been on here myself. But lighten <laughs> up. We're not going for the, the ABC primetime weeknight slot, you know, right. for family hours. I mean, if, if somebody can appreciate Jolly as a genre of film, I would guess that they're not exactly uptight about certain things. And just because we kind of laugh and snicker about it, that makes us bad guys, you know? Right. Well, I mean, there is definitely a new kind of attitude in the, you know, in the, in the, what you would call modernized age of, you know, not body shaming and calling out, um, actresses specifically for their looks, but sitting around and saying, oh, you know, I, I think that she doesn't look good with this particular hairstyle, or um, I really wish that she had shown uh, more of her boobs in this particular scene. Like, I I think mm-hmm. that's all valid <laughs> criticism for somebody who's interested in these kinds of films, because part of it is about the sexiness and the the allure of the female actors uh, in these films. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see what Matt thinks about this. Um, if we ever get him back on the podcast, which I hope we will. Um, yeah. But I'd like, I'd like to, again, I, I, I want to go back to what I said a little bit earlier, which is I, I appreciate anybody who takes the time to say, you know, this is what, um, this is what I like about the podcast and this is what I don't like about the podcast. And so we appreciate it. And again, it's way better than just saying we sound like wankers. So um, there's that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to turn our attention now to the main event, which is the 1969 movie in Terabang. which is Italian for interrobang. And I, I'm not sure why there's a distinction or a difference, but I guess there is. And for those of you who don't know, haven't watched the movie, I would just say stop listening. But um, if you want to continue to listen, an interrobang is some sort of interesting typography where you merge an exclamation point with a question mark and it's supposed to affect the inflection uh, kind of like in modern times where we add an exclamation point after a question mark in Mm -hmm. text messages to, you know, to, you know, to ask a question, but at the same time to ask a question really loudly or really emphatically, like, can you believe this in Terabang? 
That's or very commonly after the letters WTF. Right. <laughs> yeah, so we had a request on the Facebook group to do this film, and I had seen it in the list of proto Jolly before, and the title of the film immediately made me think of interrogation and bang, which is like a slang for having sex. So like, I'm going to have sex with you to get the information out of you that I need. It's an interrobang. But of course that's not at all (laughs) what that means because, you know, no one said bang back in the sixties. It's way more um, sophisticated (laughs) than I gave it credit for. But I don't know, Al, if you're like me, I had already seen this film called The Seducers, and mm-hmm. we we covered it on a, a previous version of the podcast, Matt and I did, and that film has um, Rosalba Neri and Edwidge Fennec and mm-hmm. one other really hot bikini model, and it takes place on a boat, it takes place at sea, um, there's modeling and photography in both films, so... I felt a major sense of deja vu in getting this movie started. Not actually when I was watching it, because they they really are different films. Um, Right. But uh, I don't know. What what were your initial impressions of the film? Like, did you – this this one seems to be out on the fringe for me. Like, it's not a giallo classic kind of – you know, film like that you would expect and some people maybe not even add it to the list of films that you would consider to be in the list of, of Jalo films, but well, Jalo as we're looking at it in the, uh, Argento model, I don't think it fits very well, but if you look at the Italian broader meaning for Jalo, which is a mystery, uh, it's not really like an Agatha Christie, type mystery but i did spend a lot of the movie wondering what the hell's going on so (laughs) (laughs) and especially at the end uh that's for sure so maybe it squeezes in it kind of presents itself like a jalo at some points because you're not sure about this guy on the island uh is he the one doing this stuff or is the guy that we heard about on the radio doing the stuff? So there is kind of a, who's the killer, but then it unravels itself at the end, which we'll get to, but I was immediately reminded of top sensation or the seducers. Right. Okay. Because you know, you put three hot babes in a boat and just (laughs) kind of film them floating around the Mediterranean on probably a shoestring budget, but who cares? Watch it. (laughs) And the story doesn't really matter or, uh, in this case, make much sense. And it's been a while since I've seen top sensation. I don't think it probably made a lot of sense either, but, uh, somehow I didn't mind as much as I did with this one. Well, the um, only thing I remember about top sensation besides the infamous goat modeling (laughs) scene is that there was some like native farmer guy who mm-hmm. had a daughter maybe and the daughter ends up on the boat and the three of them get in like this weird three-way lesbian thing 
Now, see, I remembered that so much, I forgot about the goat. (laughs) It's Edwidge posing with some sort of captain's hat. And, yeah. And the goat is, is the goat, like, performing oral on um, Edwidge's character? Is that what I remember? (laughs) Something like that. It may have been I heard you guys talking about it. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that may have been what it was, or maybe it was just implied. That that yeah, was I think was it was happening. implied. I had heard the episode where you guys covered that and immediately ran to find it. So I could, you know, <laughs> Rosalbaneri and Edwidge Fennec and whoever the other one was. I want to say it's Eva Allen, but it might not be. Uh, yeah, so all whoever three of them was. together, yeah. like together, together. Hell yeah. yeah. And... Uh, I watched it, and a few episodes, well, a few, probably like 20 or 30 episodes later, you guys referred back to it with a goat. And I honestly, I was, goat? What goat? There was a goat in the movie? (laughs) So I had to go back and click through it, and I was like, oh, yeah, there's a goat. But look at this again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't even watch it long enough. I just watched it long enough to confirm that, yeah, there's a scene with a goat and something, whatever, boring. Let's get back to this other part. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this one is would be like a perfect double feature with Top Sensation. Yeah. Well, and but it would be a perfect double feature so long as you had the patience to sit through both of them. Because I remember Top Sensation having parts that drag on, and this one certainly has parts that drag on. And we'll get to it. I mean, there's some there's there's some ideas that are out there on the internet with regard to this film that the parts that drag on drag on on purpose. Right. And I don't know if that's really the case or not. If that was the filmmakers' intentions, um, but we'll we'll talk about it in more detail. As far as the film itself, it's not easy to find. It was released on. DVD, I think maybe about 10 years ago uh, in Italy. And I have a DVD, a Cinecult, C-I-N-E-K-U-L-T, is the distributor that put out the DVD. And I don't know if it's ever been released in any other format, but I did actually find a YouTube copy that is currently on the internet and available and I will put it in the show notes for people if you want to go watch the film. If you haven't seen this film yet and you want to listen to what we're about to talk about, I highly recommend you watch the movie first and then come back and listen to us talk about it. But um, check out the show notes because there's a link to the YouTube um, copy. I can't guarantee that it'll be up for any length of time, but for now it's there. I just checked it this morning. So, um, so, yes, a very obscure and hard-to-find film, and probably before, you know, the advent of DVDs and the Internet, it was probably impossible to find. It was probably forgotten uh, amongst most people who w- were paying attention to this kind of film. But uh, I read on the Italian Wikipedia page for this film that it was shown on Italian TV for the first time 50 years after its theatrical release. (laughs) And 
I think related to that, there was a note about how the Italian censorship board uh, chopped it down from 102 minutes to 90. And okay. the version I saw was 93. Uh, and there was also a note on the Wikipedia page about when they did show it on television, I think they messed up and showed the full version. Okay. And it had a slightly different ending, which I think I'll wait until we get to the end of the film to, to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's interesting because the only version I've seen is the 93 minute version. Right. And I just checked that Chin Occult DVD and it's also 93 minutes. So okay. it'd be really cool if somebody dropped a Blu-ray of the restored full version. Yeah, especially if there's more that happens at the end, because there's so many things happen at the end already. I can't yeah, imagine sure. another something. Yeah. Um, there is a trailer on Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, mm-hmm. and what's interesting about the trailer is, and I don't know if this was added to the trailer, like, you know, say in the 50 years later thing, or if this was what you saw in the theater in 1968, 69, when it first came out. But it says the film has been advertised as rated S for spectacle. And then it says eating without an appetite is one of the first is one of the four worst things in the world. And then at the bottom, it says the destruction of tragedy is a French invention. Um, right. Those are all quotes from the film. From the film, yeah, but I thought, mm-hmm. that, when I first saw that, I'm like, wait a minute, that's kind of, you know, interesting that they added all those details into the very first two seconds of the trailer that I don't think anybody would notice, because um, it's on screen for three seconds, um, so it may be that they added that in, in you know, in retrospect after it, it got released on DVD, I'm not sure, so, but at any rate, um, Al, give us some info about uh, the film itself and uh, the cast and crew and credits and whatnot, if you have some. Okay. Uh, the director of this was Giuliano Biaggetti, and he has 13 directing credits to his name. Uh, nothing in Jalo. He did mostly, it seems like, uh, romantic dramas, uh, like couple, like soap opera type films so this seems to be an odd standout for him uh, the part of Fabrizio is played by Umberto Orsini he has 93 acting credits uh, to his name ranging from 1957 until this very year 2022 wow. uh, he did a film this year that came out called Marcel and it's about a woman who loses her dog and the dog is named Marcel, and somehow searching for the dog helps her reunite with her estranged daughter. And Umberto Orsini, Fabrizio in this film, plays the grandfather. So that might be worthwhile. As you would expect. Right, yeah. (laughs) I doubt he's walking around taking pictures. Uh, The part of Marco is played by Corrado Pani, and he has 68 acting credits from 53 to 2003, he passed away in 2005. He did uh, at least a couple other 
films with the same director, including one with uh, Barbara Boucher, I think the very next year. And he was in a totally psychotic uh, spaghetti western called Matalo, uh, which means kill okay. him. And that was directed by Cesare Canevari, who did Hyena in the Safe. Uh-huh. So okay. if you remember, listeners, Hyena in the Safe, how wacky that film was. Imagine that guy doing a spaghetti western with this guy uh, playing Marco. <laughs> it's it's as interesting as Hyena in the Safe, we'll say. Uh, the part of Anna, who is Fabrizio's wife, is played by Beba Lonkar. She was born in Serbia and has 59 acting credits from 1960 to 1982, including some Euro spy thrillers and some Poliziotesky films. And I notice at least one Decameron-based sex comedy on her credits. The part of Valeria, who plays Anna's sister, uh, is played by Heidi Politoff. She was born in France. She only has 19 acting credits between 67 and 2018. And she's done a lot of films uh, across Europe. Uh, One was either German or Austrian. And she was also in Count Dracula's Great Love with Paul Nashi. Aha. Uh, the photo model in the film uh, named Margarita was played by Shoshana Cohen. And this is the only acting credit that she has. And I could find no other information about her anywhere on the mm. internet, which I thought was confusing. So she must have been in Terra banging one of the crew. And maybe she was a producer's uh, next door neighbor or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or she did this one movie and married uh, some Greek tycoon and disappeared. Who knows? Uh, Interesting. The film was shot on the Isola Rosa on the northwest coast of Sardinia. And if you're looking at a map of Italy, Sardinia is the island above the island of Sicily. Okay. And is that considered its own country? No, it's part of Italy, just part like of Sicily Italy. is. Yeah. Okay, good. So that answers my one Jalo score question, which was, is this supposed to be occurring in an Italian location? And the answer is yes. Yes. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give it the score it deserves. Uh, an Italian location is three points. I won't reveal what the film got as a final score until we get to the end here but now yeah. i can fill that last part in um, <laughs> okay because i um you know it, it the, one of the things that happens with regard to the giallo score and regard specifically to this criteria of does the film take place in italy um it's sometimes if you look at the filming credits and the locations where the filming was done, that doesn't necessarily mean anything because in the story they could be telling you that, you know, it's, it's happening in Greece or it's happening in the South of France when they really just filmed somewhere in Italy. Um, so that, that's the one that's very hard for me to, to fill out when I'm doing the Jalo score. I mean, unless it's obvious where they are or 
if they you know if they mention somewhere in the film hey you know this is this is where we're at you know we're going to go you know, i think the that one what was the one film i uh, there was a film where they i think they started out in geneva switzerland and then they went uh sweet body of deborah i think it was they went to geneva switzerland then they're here and then they're in mallorca and then you know it's like they're all over the place but anyway uh good to know um that this was an italian location so yeah it's, it's definitely italy uh, speaking of the Jallo score i was listening to a podcast this week uh, a Jallo podcast called Due Signori in Jallo. Have you heard of that one? It's two yeah. British guys. The Italian. Okay. The, the title of the podcast is very Italian. Two gentlemen right. in yellow. But they just did an episode that came out two days ago on the night Evelyn came out of the grave. And at the beginning of their conversation, one of the guys references. He says he remembers going to some website where somebody was ranking the criteria for what makes a Jalo film a Jalo, and he couldn't remember the name of the site, but he was saying it was kind of like a place where you go to see how Jalo is this film. <laughs> and oh, wow, I was okay. I was biting my tongue to saying say Jalo score, you know, because yeah, I was yeah, yeah. pretty sure. I mean, <laughs> unless there's ten websites out like that now, but. I was thinking I, I might think drop so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the things that happened when I was coming up with the idea for the website, which was, uh-huh. I hope I don't miss the boat. I hope someone else doesn't steal my idea. And then I realized how many people really care that much about this stuff. <laughs> and I were, and then I realized that nothing bad was going to happen. But yeah. um, there was a, there was a blog um, that's still up. I forget what. I'd have to look it up to, to be sure. I think it's like the Jalo files. Uh-huh. Um, and let me see if it's still around. Yeah. The Jalo files. It's um it's a blog spot blog and it kind of follows the same idea. If you go and it hasn't been updated in, in quite a while. It looks like, um, Oh no, it looks like the, it looks like the guy who, um, did it actually got back to doing it so in 2017 he did like two films and then in january of this year he started up again and has been doing one every month so um anyway he's got this um very cool graphic where it looks like a police case file that you ripped off a a sheet of paper from a notebook and you're filling out like a form that you would if you were a police detective and you know, there's questions like um, what's the body count? Does the title make sense? Um, check boxes for, is there a gay character? Are the police inept? Is there a spiral staircase? You know, so, um, and I remember that one being out, uh, you know, back when I was doing mine. So 2012, uh, is where the where the first couple of posts that this person did for the Jalo files. I think the first one they did was the fifth chord. Um, mm. But anyway, it's been out for a while, and that may be what they're referring to as well. But um, yeah, I'll have to go back and listen, and maybe get in contact with them to say, "Hey, you guys were referencing my site, and it's still alive, and this is what it's called." So yeah, 
claim it, even cool. if it was the other guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what we do now. Yeah, why not? Culture. We... All right. So, um, well, that's that's good. Good a uh, good intro into the film. I don't think there's anything left to talk about in in kind of introducing this to the listening audience. It's time now to get into the nitty gritty of the film. And uh, let's. Uh, I, I went through the film uh, two times. The first time I sat and watched it as just an audience member, bowl of popcorn, big screen, sat on, sitting on my couch. And the second time I went through it, um, I went through it more as an academic would, where I'm pausing, I'm taking notes, I'm pausing, I'm taking notes. And. I'm not sure which way to watch it is better. Probably neither. Um, but <laughs> I found myself getting very bored in the middle of the film, which mm -hmm. I think almost everyone who watches it will say that same thing. And when I was taking notes on it and trying to find things to say and talk about, I also got very bored in the middle of the film. So um, that's kind of... I, I I was hoping that after a second viewing, there may be some things that, you know, I kind of glanced or, or I glazed over um, for whatever reason and that I was going to catch on the second time around. And there are a few, but it is still very slow in the middle. So the more I watch it, the more things I catch, but it yeah. doesn't make it any better. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, not not the film. It, it just it doesn't make my understanding of what happened any better. Well, and yeah, and there's there's that too. So there's is this film entertaining enough to watch regardless of how little sense it makes? And then can you go one further and say, can we make some sense out of this? And I don't think you can do either one. Um, right. But again, I, they they kind of make up for the boredom by. For at least for the male audience or the the audience that is attracted to the female form, whoever that may be, by throwing three different, very different looking but all equally gorgeous bikini models, you know, in the film at various angles. Um, True. And I really enjoyed. They did a lot of this where they would put the camera, and they would have one of these bikini models walk into the frame. Um. Where, you know, right in front of the camera, and then they would edit that. It was almost like they went from black to, oh, it's not darkness. It's the black bottoms of this bikini of of Anna's character right. walking out until the into the rocks. But anyway, yeah, I think easily this film has the most skin per frame of any of the jolly that the show has covered. Yeah, and and the, and that's one reason I can't wait for a Blu-ray, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> And not much nudity, which is interesting. Yeah, which is, yeah, odd. I mean, I think there's a scene where Marguerite takes her clothes off for a photo shoot, and mm -hmm. there's a scene where uh, Valeria, is that her name, Valeria? Valeria. Mm -hmm. Valeria. Oh, when she's distracting the cops on the boat? Yeah, right. right. And they, you can only, only see her through the for the binoculars, so you right. can't yeah. really see any details, but... Um, okay. So 
let's start with the opening credits. We have a very simple uh, scene uh, where the credits are rolling. It's just the wake of the ship. Um, we got this nice bossa music. Sorry. We got this nice bossa nova music um, that's, you know, getting piped in over the credits. And mm-hmm. it's very, you know, it's very airy and, and, and happy sounding. There's lots of flutes and, you know, violins and, you know, chimes and stuff. It's, it's a very lighthearted theme. Um, it's, it's a toe tapper. It's yeah, it's definitely a toe tapper. And I know that, um, that style of music was super, like super popular in this time period. Um, and so a lot of the, uh, a lot of the films were using it at various types in various places. And I think like even people like Ennio Morricone were making, um, soundtrack songs like, you know, like thematic instrumental songs with that bossa nova kind of feel to them, like that six, eight time, um, thing. Cause it was very popular in, in the jazz circles and in, you know, popular culture at the time. So, mm-hmm. uh, after the credits are done, um, we see this beautiful brunette wearing these white sunglasses. She's got this large gold link chain thing that she's wearing. It's part of her outfit. Uh, this is Margarita. Of course, we don't know that yet. But um, then we see this this male hand reaching in from the left frame, removes the glasses, and then his head comes in and he starts to kiss her. And that's Fabrizio. And they kiss for a little bit, and um, then Marguerite rolls over, and I think it's her hat, right, that uh, Fabrizio puts on. And we see that hat mm-hmm. throughout the movie, but that's, that hat belongs to Marguerite, right, I think? Right, yeah. Okay. Um, so the camera pans up to reveal that there's a second woman. She's wearing a white hat. She's reading a book. This is Valeria. She reveals that she's reading a book by Lin Yu Tang, who I looked up and I didn't I didn't do much of an exhaustive search, but he was a Chinese uh, author and, you know, kind of Renaissance man who knew a whole bunch of different kinds of things like math and science and was an author and whatnot. I think in the 30s was when he was popular. Um, Marguerite asks, Hey, what's the book about? And Fabrizio says, Hey, this is my book. It's very deep and philosophical about trying to eliminate all the sad and boring things in life. Um, and Marguerite says that she doesn't understand. And Fabrizio says, that's because you're stupid. Right. Uh, He's very insulting to to everybody (laughs) in this film. This, and and I think that kind of, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say it's going to be a theme that we we hear a lot throughout the throughout the film. Right. Well, speaking of theme, I think what he just said is probably the mission statement of the film. Yeah. The, the desire to eliminate the the ugly and boring things in life always leads to tragedy. And if you want to be generous with this film and try to give the filmmaker some credit, you could say that that's kind of what they're trying to do with the film. Yeah. They're trying to bore you and lull you into this uh, sense of complacency. And then within the last maybe 10 minutes, there's uh, 
you know, there's a twist and then the double twist and then a triple twist and possibly a fourth twist uh, right. regarding the, uh, the cut scene that I referenced earlier. Sure. And if that's what they were doing, then the film is a lot more successful and better than I thought after the first time I saw it. Because I was right. very confused, and that ties in with another part of this film, which is part of the title, too. So. Okay. And so the idea that you're throwing out there is that um, the audience, the, the filmmakers purposely get to the point where the audience is suffering because things are sad and boring in the film. Mm-hmm. And in an effort to eliminate these things, we end up with the tragic ending. Right. Okay. That's pretty cool. And we think there's tragedy before we get to the very end, but then right. there's the switch. Right. Or the, uh, what do they call it? No, I forget. Oh, the twist. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The twist after the twist after the twist. So right. uh, Valeria continues to talk about the book. She says that this idea of destruction of tragedy is from an old French invention um, and that playing games is the pathway to freedom and that death is the absolute freedom. And Marguerite says, I'm bored. Um, <laughs> and Valeria says that she's dumb and right. she gets up. Um, And then we have Anna, who starts calling Fabrizio's name. Um, Anna seems to be the one with the the one who calls people, you know, throughout the movie. Uh, She calls I think she calls some of the other characters, you know, from the ship later on in the film. But she's just yelling out Fabrizio over and over again. And Fabrizio ignores her. He continues to take photos of Marguerite and he kisses her and. Then he says, oh, that's my wife. Um, And he goes over to see why she's calling him. And she says, I just wanted to make sure you weren't dead. And (laughs) she seems to be totally fine with whatever's going on with him and Marguerite. And uh, all of a sudden, Valeria is now in the frame again. She's sitting in the back. I think... At one point, I, I went back to double check that she had gotten up in the previous scene, and now she's sitting back down in a different spot. Um, it's just weird how, like this boat, it's such it's such a small place to to film things, but it seems like there's so many different places where they take up space on the boat, even though it's a really small boat, um, mm-hmm. which I found odd, and, and and also was very impressed with the fact that they were able to compose as many interesting shots in such a small space as they were able to for this film. I thought that was something to give it credit for, for sure. Um, anyway, uh, Valeria appears uh, behind Anna and Fabrizio. Uh, she says that their behavior, you know, that, that Fabrizio's behavior is obscene, I think. And, uh, Fabrizio says it's all a game, just like the book that she's reading. Um, and then all of a sudden we hear about a, uh, escaped fugitives on the radio. And I guess 
the idea is that two of these escaped fugitives have been caught, but one is still at large. And there's also a missing police officer. So it's very important that we all remember this because it's going to be one of the only pieces of information that we have to try to figure out why everyone is acting so strangely throughout the middle section of the movie. Um, so that's basically our establishing scenes. From here, we kind of start setting up these longer scenes where there's lots of conversation, but it doesn't seem, at least on the surface, to be amounting to too much. Uh, and we could go back and say maybe it does amount to more than we thought it would when we understand, you know, how all the characters are related to each other. But um, that first scene is uh, the, the, the few scenes from the beginning up until the point where we start the photo shoot with, you know, after they weigh the anchor and um, they start um, taking pictures. Um, this the shots and, and the establishment of the characters and the establishment of the scene of the, of the theme that is, um, is kind of like important for the film. Um, and then we, and then we move on, but was there anything else out of that beginning part that, you know, you noticed or that you wanted to bring up? Well, I thought it was interesting that at least twice already people have mentioned playing games. Right. And I think that's a little foreshadowing towards the ending. And you could really right. say that about anything, you know. But uh, especially considering the way this ends and the different plans that different characters have in motion. Everybody's playing some kind of secret game with the other people that they're with. Right. So I thought that was a pretty cool uh, seed that they plant early on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, agreed. Okay, so uh, music starts up again. The group decides to weigh the anchor, and we go to the photo shoot. Margarita is posing. Fabrizio is shooting. He calls her as many insulting names as he could think of <laughs> under his breath about how stupid she is. He right. calls his wife stupid, too. She's, like, exchanging lenses for him. And cameras and he calls her stupid um, and then something that I didn't notice the first time but that I did notice the second time was Marguerite leaves and Valeria comes out mm-hmm. to pose for the camera I didn't think that she was also a model or that she was part of the photo shoot but um, because I think when I watched it the first time I just assumed that the person that was posing was just Marguerite in more outfits, but it turns out that it's Valeria that comes out and she throws him her necklace and she mentions in Terabang and she says, it's the new symbol of doubt and uncertainty in all of us. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> um, if there are, if there are people out there that study, you know, that are super serious about studying linguistics and the history of linguistics and whatnot, I wonder if this whole interabang idea was something that they were trying to really put forth in, you know, the in, in, a, in a certain time period that they hoped would catch on. And at this point, it was like, hey, look at this trendy thing that you know I'm that I'm suggesting to you. Like, hey, there's 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 a new way of ending your sentence. 
It's not just for periods and exclamation points anymore. We have a terabang. And, uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's clearly the name of the movie and it kind of ties in with the theme to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Although I guess the theme of the book that she was reading is way more appropriate for what happens in the film. But Well, um, there is a lot of uncertainty throughout this film. Yeah. Uh, especially the more you think about it. Uh, I don't know. It's maybe has something to do with, you know, around that time that they were trying to uh, establish a global language, Esperanto. You know, so maybe the people who missed the boat on Esperanto thought they'd try their hand with uh, inventing new punctuation. Gotcha. You know, I've seen question marks with uh, exclamation points following them all the time. Right. And when I first heard of this movie and I looked at it and I, without watching it, I just read something that, oh, the question with an exclamation point. And I was like, oh, I didn't know there was a name for that. And it wasn't until I saw this film that I saw that, no, it's a question mark with the exclamation point superimposed on top of it. So I don't know if when you type WTF question mark exclamation point, if that would be an interrogate bang or not. But yeah, yeah. that's that's a good point. Um, Is it the actual like, is it the same context as when you put an exclamation point after a question mark, like to just emphasize the fact that you're asking a question. I I don't, you know, that's a good point. Like it may not necessarily be that if you separate both of these punctuation marks from each other and put them next to each other, does it mean the same thing? Um, Well, the exclamation point implies some kind of surprise or being startled or shocked or angry or something like that which fits with the bang right and a question mark for interrogation if you think about it hard enough or squint just right to look at it any question implies uncertainty because if you right you know if you know why are you asking whatever the question is so right 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 I think it would be good point. It should be more uncertainty or like surprised uncertainty or excited. Un- well, it's excited uncertainty doesn't make sense. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. True. Agitated <laughs> uncertainty. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't well, think it's a, it, I don't think it's a accident that we haven't heard about it anywhere else. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it it's didn't not like catch they on. set the, the printing world on fire and everybody had to <laughs> update their typewriters. Yeah, <laughs> obviously not. But yeah. there is, as as I was able to, as I was able to show in our, our in our texting back and forth, there is a symbol that you can probably there's probably a shortcut key. Um, right. Like if you hold down the Alt button on your keyboard and then type a three digit number on the number key pad. It will give you symbols like um, the registered trademark or the superscript uh, TM um, Mm -hmm. or like an E 
with an umlaut over it or like a, a U with the, the, do, the two dots. And I'm yeah, sure that you can... All the umlauts and accents. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that you can do that with this Interabang character as well. So um, so it is really a, a, a recognized character in modern computing, but I don't know how often it's used. The other thing that I will um, add is that in the 1950s, it says here on the internet, uh, secretarial dictation and typesetting manuals referred to the mark as bang for the exclamation <laughs> point. Um, uh, they're speculating that it came from comic books where the word bang appeared with an exclamation point, like in Batman, um, you know, with guns being fired or what have you. So a bang is actually another name for an exclamation point. And so in Terra bang would make more sense if you think about it that way. Um, so again, I was confused, but Valeria puts on an outfit and starts um, going through a montage of outfits and being uh, photographed by Fabrizio. And Fabrizio tells her that they could kill her and blame it on the fugitive. Um, but her sister, Anna, loves her too much. So now we know that Anna and uh, Valeria are related. They're sisters. Mm-hmm. Um Meanwhile, Marguerite has decided to take off all of her clothes and she calls Fabrizio over to take more pictures. Um, And at that particular moment, uh, while she's getting photographed, Marguerite looks out and she sees a man walking off in the distance on the rocky shore, uh, which and doesn't say anything to anybody about it. And I don't know if we're supposed to assume that Marguerite heard the radio because she was the only one that wasn't in that scene. Um, so maybe she doesn't know that there's a fugitive at large, but um, the fact that she's been established as not too bright means that maybe she doesn't really, you know, she wasn't paying attention anyway to the radio, um, yeah. but who knows? Uh, so they all go back to the boat and they start having drinks and there's a J and B bottle, which I eventually get to see the label later on in the film. So I could give it a point for a Jalo score. And, uh, Fabrizio tries to start the boat, but it won't start. And he starts uh, arguing with Anna about this. And um, this is an interesting scene uh, because Valeria goes below deck. And I think she's going below deck to read her book some more. Um, Anna continues to try to get the boat started. And Marguerite is still looking around to see if she can see that man. Um, but eventually, um, Fabrizio and Marguerite go for a swim and all of a sudden a speedboat appears in the distance. And I think we were talking about this before and we didn't record it. Um, Val, uh, Valeria, she looks out the window and she hears the sound of the boat, Mm -hmm. but what they show you, what she sees out the window is the coast, the rocky coast instead of the boat. So, we don't know if that's a continuity thing or if it's actually that Valeria is looking for the man on the coast and not necessarily looking for the boat. Um, but it's not because really everybody else runs up when they hear the sound, they run up to look at the speedboat. Right. But she does the opposite. She looks towards the coast. Exactly. And if we, if we, 
go with the assumption that we know that she's up to something, uh, mm-hmm. it may be that she's looking, you know, out the window to find uh, the, the the person who will eventually be revealed as Marco. Um, which I'm jumping ahead, but I never really expected that that was his name. They don't really say his name, and then he starts calling out his own name later on in the film. (laughs) I was so confused that he's he's yelling out, Marco, and I'm like, wait a minute. Is that your name? Are are we playing Marco Polo because it's just like a it's a swimming thing and that's we're bored. We're so bored to play Marco Polo, you know. Yeah, he's Um, playing Marco Polo by himself. By himself, right? And still losing. We'll, we'll, we'll get into how strange Marco is in a little bit. But, yeah, uh, okay. The speedboat um, appears in the distance, and um, Fabrizio grabs his megaphone, as you happen to carry on a boat, to signal the boat to come over. And the boat arrives, and of course there is yet another beautiful woman in a bikini who is uh, driving the boat, and... Fabrizio decides, hey, I'm going to climb aboard, and they'll drive away. And for one split second, Marguerite decides that she wants to go with him. Uh And Anna says, no, you're staying back here. Uh, (laughs) I don't know know why. Um, I don't get that either, because um, it's obvious that – well, okay, maybe not in the subtitles, but the the girl driving the speedboat is French. And she's obviously making eyes at Fabrizio. And Fabrizio's right. making eyes back at her. And then she's looking at the other women with the stink eye, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think Anna, the wife, picks up on that. So, of course, Mr. You know, God's gift to women, Fabrizio, decides, well, never mind there's a killer on the loose. I'm going to leave these three women here with a boat. <laughs> Well, with our boat and jump in the speedboat with his hot little French number. And <laughs> the wife doesn't object because, hey, Mr. Man, why don't you stay here and one of us girls go, right? <laughs> right. Obviously, he's going to try to bang the French check, but right. that's not my problem. My problem is that Marguerite, the model that I know he's also banging, wants to go too because she doesn't want him to bang the French check. <laughs> Let him go bang the French chick by himself and leave us women here all alone. And there's some uncertainty or interra bang creeping up in my head right there. Right. But he gets well, away with it. What's interesting is that Marguerite is probably more jealous of what Fabrizio is up to than his own wife is. Right. So it's – and that – that seems to be something that gets revealed throughout the film too. Like but she's but it's certain... never a question of why is the only man here leaving the three women on the <laughs> boat? I mean, not to be chauvinist or anything, but come on. Well, right. Exactly. He, There's a killer know, on the loose and I'm going to leave three bikinis on this boat so I can try my luck with, with the petite bikini number four. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Well, you got to give him some credit. You know, he's got his priorities yeah. straight. Well, he so, gets away with it. So. He does. Um, okay. So now I have written in my notes in big, bold letters, and then there were three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is really the beginning of a very long sequence 
of things that happen in the film in a very slow pace. Um, and, you know, I guess we're going to continue to bring up this topic and maybe to the point where we just get disgusted with ourselves. But um, there seems to be a method to the madness of making this section of the film as long and as tedious as it is because it applies to a what they were talking about in the beginning and b what's going to happen at the end and also i read a couple of people who had written reviews about this on the internet about how this this style of filmmaking where it's mundane and it's just you know people in kind of their bourgeois um social class just kind of hanging out not having anything to do and just having discussions about things that really aren't that important uh, right. this kind of filmmaking was done by um like antonioni and mm -hmm. maybe some of these other um italian filmmakers and that this was supposed to be kind of like like that style of film influenced this uh, so that's another argument for why is the film like this in the middle. And the obvious one that we all kind of are just, I mean, that everyone who sees this film talks about how slow it is in, in this middle section. And we all kind of dismiss the idea that it was just, they had to fill time. They didn't have much of a story. Um, and that may be why it's boring. And, you know, instead of all these other really sophisticated reasons, it's just they had a very short script, but they had to fill 90 minutes. So I don't know. Right. Um, maybe all of those things are, are part of um, the reasoning. But at any rate, uh, Marguerite sees the man uh, again walking around the rocks. She dives into the water. The, one of the things that I, I noticed is highlighted in this middle section is constantly – going in the water, swimming, getting out of the water, waiting, talking, jumping back in, swimming some more. There's so much of that. Uh, get, getting into the dinghy and driving the dinghy to the rocks and then driving the dinghy back to the boat. And, and you know, there's a lot of that going on. Right. Um, and there's one part where Anna gets in the dinghy that is on the side of the boat and she just sits in the dinghy. Right. It's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, when I started getting into it, I was like, oh, she's about to go ashore. And then it cuts to onshore. And then it cuts back to her. And she's just lounging in the dinghy, still tied to the boat. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I was right. supposed to go onshore. Well, okay. I wonder if that was because she just wanted to be closer to the water. She wanted to lay, lay down and kind of like, you know, <laughs> drape her hand into the water, being close to it, but not actually getting in it. I don't know. Okay. Well, maybe. Uh, at any rate, Marguerite is swimming around and runs into this mystery man, and he's wearing long jeans mm -hmm. and a and a kind of purplish navy tank top. Um, and she says, "Come on in. The water is hot." I don't know why you would say that, and I don't know if maybe that's just the subtitles. Um, I don't know if she said in Italian, "The water's hot," but that wouldn't okay, be a reason well, for me to jump the, in. The word in Italian for warm. And hot is the same. 
Oh, okay. And you just kind of know from context whether they mean warm or actually hot enough to burn you. Oh. Um, so I think she was saying, come in, the water's warm. Right, like which, the water's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we would just say the water feels nice. but So so my question then for you is, if I took a kettle of boiling water and poured it on my hand and yelled, oh my God, that water's really warm. That's what I would say in Italian. And you would know that I meant hot. Well, you would say the same word. Right. Which is cold. Word. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh. So, um, and, and this came up one time when uh, I was going on to the military base here. And there are Italian troops that work on this base too. And one day, uh, some Italian military were working at the gate, checking people's passes and IDs and things. And somebody in the car in front of me, uh, told the sold, well, told this military guy to stay warm because it was, I guess it was in the winter, late fall. Okay. And my car pulls up and he looked in and he recognized me from uh, times that I'd been on base before. And he asked me, you know, what does it mean when, uh, what does stay warm mean? And I explained to him, stay caldo, which is stay warm, right? Right. But that was the first time I realized that's also the same word for hot. So I had to explain to him, not like burning hot, but, you know, comfortable, right. warm. And so just depending on the context, like if, there's steam coming off and you say the water's cold then obviously it's hot right but if you're referring to it's not cold it's room temperature you would also say cold okay so mm-hmm. not cold would be cold and hot would be cold right yeah got it okay in either way it doesn't make sense because obviously the water's not boiling and right. it doesn't seem like it's a cold time of year because, you know, they, they spend the whole movie in their bikinis. This Correct. guy's wearing more clothes than all four other characters combined. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> he, and, he's covering more skin than they all are together. Yeah. yeah. Which is fine with me. But, right. Who wants to see Marco? Yeah. He's got a really odd-looking face. And yeah. uh, when I looked at um, his image in some of the stills for some of the other films that he did where mm-hmm. he's got uh, dark hair and a mustache. He looks way more normal, but for some reason in this film with his blonde hair, he just, he looks odd. Yeah. Um, but the funny part is he says, Oh, I can't swim. And then as soon as he says he can't swim, he jumps in and starts swimming. Hmm. Um, and this is the first time we're treated to, the spectacle that is Marco <laughs> swimming, um, ladies and gentlemen, it's it's inexplicable. It's like he doesn't bend his elbows, and he's got this like bird raven claw kind of hand thing going on, and he just makes these gigantic propeller arm movements mm-hmm. as he's swimming, and. Sometimes he, he goes fast, like he's trying to get somewhere quickly, and other times he goes slowly, or you know, to just you know, to kind of 
to kind of slow down his pace a little bit, but his arms continue to do the same thing. It's it's really disconcerting. And he, he's wearing long jeans every time. Every time, yes. Have you ever been wearing jeans and, like, you come in from a rainy day and, like, maybe up to your ankles, the bottom of your pant legs are wet? Yes. That, <laughs> when that happens to me, I cannot wait to get out of those pants and change them. And it <laughs> just – it skis me out i can't stand it yeah, yeah and this yeah. guy spends a whole movie and that's just like rainwater. this guy has salt water <laughs> soaking his denim all day and man i bet he smelled something fierce by the end of oh, shooting man. this film i hope they had a box full of those jeans because if he wore the same ones for the whole film <laughs> not to well, mention salty <laughs> wet salty stuff when it dries leaves like cakes of salt in the fabric it's not comfortable yeah he could not have been comfortable or um smell good um right but was also interesting is that it seemed like his clothes dried out really quickly in the film um yeah just in time for him to jump back in again but (laughs) exactly yeah like he's uh like he's a goldfish you know i've been out of the water too long you know my pants are dry let me jump back in that is really funny. <laughs> but, you know, good for him. I mean, he's he's more Michael Phelps with his jeans on than I'd be in Speedos. So, yeah, good for him. <laughs> but. Well, uh, so Anna, let's see. We, we see a There's a scene where Anna takes off down to her bikini. She's got a nice black bikini on. Um, and Valeria is uh, exploring the the, the rocky beach coastal area. She finds, I guess what looks like those gold links that Marguerite was wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually she finds a body laying face down. And I noticed that um, instead of them playing some sort of music, that's kind of like suspenseful and in terabangish, they start playing this like really swingy jazz music um, while she's kind of, watching and looking at the body and pondering it for a minute. And then she decides uh, that she's just going to run away and, and and not do anything about the fact that she saw a body, at least not yet. Um, and Anna is uh, call. I think Anna is calling her out now, I think at this point. And um, Valeria is, there's this really cool scene. I like the way that they, they filmed this. It just looked really, it just looked really cool for some reason. Like she's swimming around in this really shallow water and you could see that like the water's super clear and the rocks are right below like her body, but she's still kind of swimming. She's not walking or mm-hmm. wading in the water. She's actually just swimming horizontally but you can see like how shallow the water is. It just, it was really cool. I like the way that they filmed that. I don't know. It doesn't really mean anything, but it was just kind of a cool idea how they did that. But, um, so let's see here. Uh, the stranger tells Marguerite that Fabrizio will not be back. Um, and there's a scene where she's got this belly jewelry on and uh, I've written in here, the stranger, but eventually we know it's Marco. 
because uh, he calls his own name out. Uh, um, so basically, like, everyone's just lying around. And I think um, it, at this point, I'm not sure. Like, it's hard to keep track of all the people and where they are. Because um, sometimes Marco is on the boat, and sometimes he's not. And sometimes one or more of the girls is laying on the rocks, and sometimes they're back <laughs> on the boat. Yes. And I can't, I can't keep track of them all. But eventually... Um, we see a police boat and the stranger who is Marco, uh, he kind of makes Marguerite react in such a way that it makes it look like they're together so that he doesn't arouse suspicion by the police. Uh, and so that makes you think as a viewer, like he must be the escaped convict. So um, the police stop and they talk to Anna and Anna basically tells them that Marco is the captain and that Anna's husband left to go get fuel. And I think they say, why didn't the captain go get fuel? But whatever, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. They don't really explain that, but um, they just say, but they just kind of re reconfirm or just re re reestablish um, re the idea that there are these three fugitives and one of the fugitives is still at large and uh, his crime was a crime of passion, whatever that's supposed to mean. I don't know in the, in the Italian language, does it literally translate as crime of passion or do they say it some other way? No, it's a crime of passion. Yeah. So when we hear crime of passion, what I think of is, um, I don't even know what I think of crime of passion, meaning I killed somebody that I was passionate about or crime of passion, meaning I didn't think I didn't plan this out. It was just a spontaneous, temporary insanity kind of thing. Well, the way I think of it usually is imagine some guy comes home unexpectedly early from work. Right. And, he walks into his bedroom and his wife is there with the pool guy. Right. And well, I just happen to have a pistol in the hallway cabinet. Right. He's, uh, he's insane with jealousy. And because of that, he shoots the pool guy and maybe the wife. Right. That would be a crime of passion. Crime of passion. Correct. Yeah. Like the Andy Dufresne Shawshank redemption. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. If he did it. Which, if he did it. But. Yeah. No spoilers. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, if, if you if you need us to hide spoilers for the Shawshank Redemption, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. But yeah. at any rate. Uh, so, okay. The stranger appeals on the boat. Um, and so Valeria goes to meet him. And this next scene I had a lot of trouble with because I have to read. And Marguerite and Anna are laying on the beach together, and it's kind of flirtatious, and they're having conversations. And the, the dialogue is coming fast and furious, but the camera is pointed at the boat. And we see Valeria show up at the boat in the dinghy, and Marco is sitting on the boat, and he's doing all these weird kind of like flamboyant jumps and uh, rolls to get from one part of the boat to the other, like he's on the roof, then he's uh -huh. on the top of it, then he's on the side of it, then he's in the back of it. And while this is happening, 
Marguerite and Anna are having this conversation. So I actually had to watch the scene twice because I needed to look to the bottom where the subtitles were to listen, to, you know, to to take in what they were talking about. But then I had to watch it again, knowing what they had talked about, to watch these little kind of specific things that the two characters are doing off. Like it's, it's a very wide angle shot with the boat off in the distance to the left. And you could barely make out, you know, the figures, mm-hmm. but you know, if you know, if, if you watch the movie, knowing that the two of them already know each other, which is a spoiler, but whatever. Um, okay. So that scene where Margarita and Anna are having the conversation on the beach, was that entire part of it in the subtitles for you? Because the no, version not, I have... Not entirely. There's I mean, like a five... Start, well, there's yeah. like a two and a half minute gap in the subtitles. Which oh, really? Which had some very interesting Italian dialogue in it. No, I didn't, I didn't have any gap in the subtitles, but I do remember the scene starts... Um, let me see. I'll go back. The scene starts and the scene two I'm, of them are, the part I'm talking about starts at like 38 minutes and 10 seconds. Okay. After Marguerite comes up with the, she has uh, water in her hand and she splashes. Yeah, yeah, right. Yep. It starts right after that. On my version, the subtitles dropped out, and I was wondering if you had the same situation. No, I have the I have the subtitles for that oh. whole section. Okay. So Marguerite is, um, you know, talking about uh, the situation that she's in, and how you know every model, you know every every photographer needs to have a model, mm-hmm. and then the camera at the let's see, at the thirty nine minute mark, the camera switches to show the boat, and you see them. The, the subtitles say, hey, look, uh, Valeria's made it to the boat. I wonder if she'll get lucky. And then they show uh, Marguerite laughing again. And I have in my notes, what the hell is up with Marguerite's makeup? Um, because there are a bunch of parts in the film where she doesn't look right. She looks either like a little bit green or mm-hmm. she's got some like charcoal looking like tint to her face. And it's not always like that. But um, meanwhile, they cut back to the boat and Marco is jumping on the roof. And then uh, Val goes to the air to the to the uh, going below. And then he jumps off and does what looks like a push up. And then he does like a a little twirl. He's doing gymnastics on the boat for some reason. Um, So I don't. I don't know. Again, this may go back to they're just trying to make us as bored as possible, trying to watch well, this thing and figure out what's going on. But There's part of that scene where Margarita and Anna are talking, and yeah, it cuts back and forth to the boat and him doing his little monkey tricks back and forth. <laughs> uh, did you get a part where they're talking about Valeria and they question her sexuality? Yes. Yep. Okay. That might tie in with the theme of uncertainty also. If you really right, want to stretch. Yeah, no, that's true. Because there 
they're talking about it as if she's um, not a woman. Like the next scene, they say, you know, she's not really a woman because she couldn't score with with Marco. Right. And um, Anna is talking about how sometimes she acts like a boy, but sometimes mm-hmm. she acts like a girl. So right. she's kind of like both sexes at the same time. She's kind of like non-binary, as we would call it these days. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think like Marguerite is, you know, I don't necessarily want to say threatened, but the idea that Marguerite represents the stereotypical woman who, you know, is, you know, main goal is to, to bag a, a, a handsome rich man. And mm-hmm. she has the body to do it even though I think Anna's got more curves than she does. She certainly has some curves, but uh, Valeria, she doesn't really have, she's got a a very athletic build and she's got like, you know, the boy haircut, like the pixie cut. So she looks a little bit like a boy um, in certain scenes. So I think that's, you know, that would continue to kind of push that, that little sub subtext or that, that, uh, Okay. That part did, of the, did you get a sense of... during that part that Marguerite was maybe trying to seduce Anna? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I think that uh, Marguerite is just uh, out for any kind of action she can get. Yeah. Wherever, wherever it comes from, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> at any rate. All right. Um, so... Uh, let's see here. Um, so Marguerite goes for a walk and I think she finds the body and there's this weird boat that comes and drives in circles for a little while and then drives away. I think maybe we're supposed to say, Oh wait, maybe that's Fabrizio coming back. But just as much as that's what the characters think. Um, that's what we think, but then it turns out that it's not Fabrizio. So, mm-hmm. um, but we see the the this person in the suit who's laying on the ground, and um, well, he's in a police oh, uniform. Yeah, I mean, it, he's in a police uniform, and we're supposed to assume that this is the missing police officer that they talked mm-hmm. about on the uh, on the radio. Um, and his so, rifle is laying right next to him. Right. And none of the women that see his body down there, who also know there's a killer on the loose, not to mention, and or there's a strange dude hanging around, helping himself to our boat, nobody thinks to go down there and get the gun. Correct. Just in case. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I worry for these women, but it'd be kind of hard to feel sorry for them if anything happened, you know? <laughs> and I don't know if this is supposed to be the filmmakers just perpetuating the stereotype that because they've been left alone without the man in charge, that they wouldn't uh-huh. make good decisions, that they wouldn't make smart decisions to secure their own safety. Like, really, all they're doing is just playing around with this man who may or may not be the fugitive that they're all talking about, but that they're all in love with for some reason. Um, and they just met. So Yeah, they're, they're um, all in love with Fabrizio. Well, Valeria probably, but she's not admitting it. 
And then Marco shows up. They're all in, you know, they're all all excited about him. And, you know, now I feel bad for judging Fabrizio earlier. I mean, these women are no better than he is. (laughs) Right, exactly. And when the police boat showed up and Anna's throwing beer at him, like, hey, let me give you guys a drink. She knows Marco's around, so she knows there's some mystery man bopping around this island when there's a, a escaped convict who's probably dangerous. She doesn't mention that to the cops. She, oh, oh, he's the captain of our boat. and uh, He's the captain. We yeah. sent somebody else. To, if I was her, I'd be screaming bloody murder. Help, give me, you know, at least give me a couple liters of gas to get out of here. Or tow us right. into the port, or leave an armed guy with us until we get something. Right. Like, nobody does anything, and it no, and kind common, of makes sense at the very end. But right, exactly. Like common sense, you would say, "Hey, why isn't she asking for help?" But if you follow the the various twists at the end, you're thinking, "Well, maybe she's in on it, you know, anyway, and she right. just wants this to play out." Um, so that part of it kind of fits in light of the ending. But right. then once you realize that, there's three or four more parts that you didn't think of at all the first time that clash with that ending. And, and I right. guess I'll save that until we get to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about for the last 15 minutes. But um, So this is when Marco starts calling out his own name. And there was this really um, – I really enjoyed this one scene where um, they all decide to walk towards where the body is and all three of the women walk out of the frame or walk away from the camera in, you know, in different, um, in different positions. Like Anna's up front and Marguerite's in the middle ground and then Valeria's in the back. And it's just, I just like the way that they framed it. And then they did one of those things where Anna walks in from, you know, from inside the frame or from, you know, right, right where the camera is. So she goes up and looks to see if she can find the body that Marguerite tells her about. Um, But the body's not there anymore. Um, And instead of it being the body, it's Marco, I think. Right. Right. Marco's laying there. And uh, they, now they go back to the boat again. It's like it's like a bunch of like little kids that can't just sit still. They're just they're in one spot. They're in another spot. Yeah, it's a hard spot. cut from Anna getting to the top of the cliff, looking down, expecting to see a dead cop because Valeria and Margarita had both seen it, and that's where he is. And instead of a dead cop, there's you know Captain Salty Jeans sitting there. <laughs> And then hard cut to them sitting on the boat, and he's flirting with Valeria. Right. And his jeans are dry, again. And his jeans are dry, yes. And Anna is, I don't, she's doing something with some papers, and then he starts quoting something. But it turns out that I guess he's quoting his own poetry. Yeah. uh, Because she asked him to give him a sample of of his poetry. (laughs) Yes. So silly. Um, so the stranger talks about his poetry. He kisses Valeria. Anna jumps back in the water. The stranger jumps in the water. I keep saying the stranger, but we know it's Marco. Um, yeah. And Marguerite 
starts drinking the J&B. Valeria sits next to her. Um, and it looks like at that point there may be an indicator that Valeria likes women. Um, because in the at least in the subtitles, Marguerite tries to like touch her in a kind of suggestive way. And Valeria says, no, not right now. Or I'm not in the mood. And then right away, Marguerite says something about, oh, did you just reveal something or something like that? Um, that's what I got from the subtitles anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so then, of course, we see, you know, Mr. El no Elbow Claw Hand Swimmer swimming <laughs> around again. Um, and... Uh, let's like see. This is the thing that's so crazy about this movie. So Anna is all the women are out by the by the rocks, and uh, Marguerite finds the body. Then she comes back, and then all three of them walk out to see the body. And then they find Marco. And then they walk to the they go back to the boat. And they sit there for a minute. And then the next scene, after they go swimming, Anna is over walking on the rocks again. Right. And it's like it's crazy. Um, so let's see, what else do I have in my notes here? Um, oh, she, it, the, the, the important thing I guess is that Valeria tells Marguerite that she also saw the body, mm -hmm. um, that Marguerite's not the only person who saw the body. Oh yeah. She says, we are full of revelations today. And, uh, Val Valeria says, are you surprised? Well, I exist just like you and Anna, maybe more than both of you. And are you going to find? And you're going to find out very soon. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Right. <laughs> and I think there's a J and B ashtray. Uh, let's see. Move your elbow a little bit. Yep, it's a J and B ashtray. Cool. Yeah. Extra. So I don't know if that gets like half a point. You know, <laughs> J and B on something other than a bottle. Um, <laughs> So Anna and Marco um, are looking around for the body. They're talking. They're kissing. Marco goes swimming again. Mm -hmm. um, Anna sees uh, blood on the rocks. And uh, let's see what else happens here. He says, yeah, they're, we're like kids searching for buried treasure. And then they make out for a while. And... He jumps in the he jumps in the water again and says, "I want you to kill me. Will you kill me?" And then he jumps in the water and does his swimming thing again. I mean, at this point, I'm just like, "Oh my god, who can take this anymore?" Um, <laughs> so, but then here's the interesting part: um, we think that something bad is going to happen to Anna because she's with Marco and they're talking about murdering and stuff. But then. It's not him. It's Marguerite who comes in on the dinghy to where to where Anna is, and Marco swims over to the boat and gets into a dunking contest with Valeria. Yeah, and it looks and like he might be trying to kill her. It looks like he's trying to drown her, but then they're uh -huh. just having fun, and, and and she's got this new green bikini on too, which I I, I liked that she. And it basically looked exactly the same as the orange one, but um, 
then let's see. So the police boat rides by a second time and they try to get Valeria to call them on the megaphone because at this point, Anna is scared for her life Mm -hmm. and Marguerite is scared for her life, even though they don't need to be because they're all in on it for some reason. But anyway, uh, (laughs) and so they want the cops to come at this point, Uh even though they really don't want the cops to come. Okay, never mind. Right. Um, so, they kind of do, they kind of don't. They kind of do, they kind of don't. And so, uh, meanwhile... But they, they look they like they do. That's the catch. Yeah, and I, I think that it's just like, hey, let's throw this ending on to this yeah, film and not worry about what I we did so. in the first 80 minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so... Then the cops, um, they basically just, they see Valeria, who isn't signaling them, but then they see Marguerite, who is signaling them for some reason, but they don't go over. And then they want to know, why did um, why did you not signal them? And she says, the batteries were gone out of the megaphone, so I couldn't call to them. And she probably also, just I, dropped them right overboard. Right. right <laughs> also, I there. took my top off while they were watching me. So, right. I like uh, how the, the, the police see these two women on the shore waving frantically at them. They <laughs> scan over to the boat. Mm, titties. And they forget yeah. all about, you know. Nice breasts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was the subtitles anyway. Nice breasts. Yeah. Um, okay. So Anna and uh, let's see. Okay. So um, now Marco's disappeared. So Valeria, no, I'm sorry. Wait, I got I've, I've got people mixed up here. Um, Marguerite gets freaked out. Right. Uh, 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 Val decides to go looking for. Why did I write Val goes looking for Marguerite? Is that what happens? Well. Okay, so Marguerite goes and looks for Marco. That's who it is. On the ding, she drives. She she rides the dinghy out to the boat now. And there's uh-huh. Marco, and they have some more discussions about things. And he kisses her, and um, eventually he decides that he's going to strangle her. And uh, we do this thing where we um, they're kissing, and the camera zooms out. Uh, with all the like foliage in the foreground and the characters are in the background on the rock. And the other thing is like how uncomfortable were all of these places where they had to sit and, and lay and walk. I mean, it does not look like fun to either be a character or an actor on this film as far as comfort goes. Right. Um, Yeah. That's the kind of beach that we have down in Southern Italy. Where right. I used to live and where we go during the summers is very rocky like that. And it is yeah. not fun to sit on or lean on or lay on right. at all. I like the fact that there's a part where he pulls her top down. Yeah. And the camera pulls way back. And then right before it zooms in, he puts it back on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> See all those salty genes mess with your hormones or something. You don't really like that part. You you you, you 
You well, I would like it more if they weren't playing games with the editing like that. <laughs> so now we think that Marguerite is dead. Um, so Val... Uh, okay, so Val goes looking for Marguerite. Um, and this this next section, there's a lot of like, you know, wide angle shots and then zooms and then pans and then she's walking in one direction, he's walking in another direction. And um, then eventually uh, Anna and Marco meet up. I think after all this walking. Yeah. Oh yeah. He does this thing where he starts making this really weird whistling noise and throws rocks at, um, at Anna. And, eventually... and that's how you let girls know you like them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they, sh they show, um, Marguerite's hat is still there, which is, I guess, supposed uh -huh. to be some sort of a thing. Um, so now they're talking and it turns out that, um, he tells Anna that he killed Marguerite. Right. This is like the first half twist, I guess. Because she walks up and she says, have you finished with Margarita? Implying that she knows that he did it and that it was planned. Well, I don't know if it's if we're supposed to believe that she knows it's planned. I think that she had got or we're supposed to believe that her character got so afraid of what was going to happen and that their fate was inevitable with Marco. And that now that Marguerite is gone, she just assumes that he took care of her and now she's at his mercy and there, you know, she can offer him his body, which is kind of like what he's after, but she can also offer him money and she can offer him exile. Like she can, she can take him to Milan. I think she says, and, and, you know, keep him from, you know, getting apprehended by the cops. And he's like, I don't care. Um, I just really need to kill you. And then we have the funniest swim scene ever, which is Anna's in the water trying to get away. And the claw man jumps in the water and just, he basically could have drowned her with his splashes, <laughs> the way that he's swimming. Yeah. And then he continues to like do this freestyle stroke when she's right in front of him. Like he doesn't, like, did you ever hear of swimming with your hands under the water? It's it's easy to do, you know. He can't yeah. do that. Dogs do I it. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, exactly. So if, and she swims into a cave. She swims into a cave. Like, oh no, the like, killer's oh, after me. Uh, let me, <laughs> let me go into cave. this. I can't avoid the windmill. The windmill hands. Uh, Maybe the so roof will get too cave. low for him. Oh to do no, that. I don't go into the dark i'm scared and he says don't worry it'll be fine don't worry right. everything's gonna be fine then he's coming out. out now he's doggy paddling it's like ah yeah how come he didn't <laughs> i didn't do that before they, he does a little dive i really want to go to this and he comes up with a starfish like they're laying all over the place yeah <laughs> starfish don't that. come up that easy you gotta pry well, those things off of the rocks when you see you know, it. unless it's dead but still yeah. Um, yeah. And then he goes. He goes back to his claw swimming. Um, so now we are to assume that everyone is dead except for Valeria, and mm -hmm. um, Valeria drives the dinghy back to the boat, and finally we have the return 
of Fabrizio right. in the speedboat. And um, one of the interesting things that I wanted to ask you, if you noticed, was that, well, first of all, there's nobody else in the boat. It's just Fabrizio and the, and the woman. Yeah. Um, but that's not as interesting as <clears throat> Fabrizio gets back on the main boat. He looks at the French woman who's driving the boat. He says goodbye. She says goodbye. And mm -hmm. then the camera focuses on like a jacket. And I'm trying to understand what they're trying to tell you. It looks but, like he left his jacket and camera case in her boat. Yeah. Okay. Oh, the cow. Oh, now I see it. I see the camera case. Right. Okay. So does that imply that he's going to meet up with her later or was that, did he barter that for the ride for the gas? Could be. Or did he swap it for that snazzy scarf? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the, the, but then I guess the question is, uh, did he just forget it? But that's clearly not what's happening because he can, he's looking right at it. So he knows he's leaving it behind. So, right. And it, it comes back at the end after right. all the twists start falling like flies. Yeah. <laughs> like dominoes. So, yeah. okay. So Fabrizio is back and the first of many reveals and twists happen right away. He goes over and starts to kiss Valeria, who uh -huh. is his wife's sister. And she says, you're finally back. Um, and he says, how, how did, did it, it go? How did it go? Right. Uh -huh. And she kisses him. And I think we're supposed to understand at this point that uh, Fabrizio is in on it with Valeria and Marco. And the boat never had a fuel problem in the first place. It was never broken down. Um, okay, well, at this point, I didn't know the first time. Okay, Marco has something going on, which we think is killing Margarita and Anna. Right. And Fabrizio has something going on because he's making out with Valeria. I didn't think that the two of them were connected. They might have been two separate things happening. But th that didn't last very long because as soon as Marco shows up, he and Fabrizio kind of high five each other. And... Right. But right, like there's the sequence of reveals here, just kind of unravels slowly but surely everything that you thought you knew about what was going on, uh -huh. and then it unravels the unraveling, eventually. Uh -huh. um, so Marco and Fabrizio get into this kind of homoerotic position where they're kind of wrestling, but eventually uh, Marco gets the upper hand um, and punches Fabrizio. And I guess um, you're supposed to wonder whether or not Valeria understands what's going on. But then Marco looks and she says, finish it. And he stabs uh Marco stabs Fabrizio off camera with a large pole or something. And now we're supposed to assume, and then we hear the sound of him. Oh no, we see actually, if you see it, if you pay close attention, you can see this red bodied figure getting thrown overboard and they pull away. And so that's what I would consider to be the second reveal, which is, that Valeria didn't really want to be with Fabrizio. She just wanted to be with Marco. Um, they dumped the body 
Marco tells Valeria not to turn around because there's blood in the water, which we know now at the end of the movie that that's not why he did not want her to turn around. Right. Um, the boat pulls away, and what I th- I don't know if you remember going to see the Return of the King when it first came out in the movie theaters. Um, but there was at least five times where you thought the movie was over. Oh God. In, yeah. In Return of the King. Mm-hmm. And that's what this reminded me of. So the boats, um, you know, they dump Fabrizio's body. The boat is pulling away and they actually cut for two seconds to that same shot that we saw in the very beginning where the credits rolled, which is the wake of the ship. And if they ended it right there, I might not have been unhappy, um, mm-hmm. but I'm certainly happier that they didn't. Um, but that was a perfect ending. Right well, there. I like the fact that he says, don't turn around because there's blood in the water. Right. And then it cuts to the the rotors of the engines, you know, chopping up the, the water in its wake. Right. Which right. also ties into the ending that we finally get. Exactly. Once yep. it goes through like four other endings, but. Right. Well, what's cool about this last scene is after we see the wake of the ship, we we go back to that wide shot of the boat going away. And then all of a sudden from the right side of the frame, uh oh, they're not going to get away with this. Here comes the police boat. And now um, they realize that the the police are following them and they have to um, come up with a story to have an alibi so that they can get away. And. Um, let's see. So the, uh, what do I have my roads? My, yeah. Marco and Val tell the police that the fugitive killed the other three of them. Um, mm-hmm. in other words, they're continuing to perpetuate this idea that Marco is the captain okay. and that Fabrizio and Anna and Margarita have all died at the hands of the escaped, uh, fugitive. Mm-hmm. And, um, then we, re- we realize that, um, so, th- so this, this next scene on the police boat, I was confused about and, you know, so, so the police say, okay, uh, can you make it, you know, make sure you stay, uh, available for questioning. Um, but, you know, can you make it out of here? Can you make it back? And they said, yeah, we'll be fine. And so okay. The boat and, was... and this is another part that makes zero sense. No matter which ending you decide to go with, okay, which twist you decide to stop and call it you know, the end. Right. They just told the cops. Let's see. Uh, we tried to call you. Then he arrived and tried to steal the boat. You should have never left us alone with that psychopath. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the cops are like, uh, okay, well, don't get too far away. We might need you to come in for questioning. So, uh, and then the cops turn around and go down into the boat and they've caught the escapee the whole time. Right. So they know that they were lying. So, <sighs> yes. So why didn't they just arrest them right there? Right there. Yeah. Be- and then th- that's because they also, do they also know that the other three aren't really dead? And that this well, I don't is think it should game? matter. No, it shouldn't. I mean, he knows he talked to the the blonde woman who threw beers at us, 
And <laughs> we know that there was that other one doing jumping jacks when we were staring at Valeria's tits, you know. We know there are people that should be on this boat, and they're saying, well, the the killer must have got them. No, the killer's in our boat. You're full of shit. Don't move a muscle. <laughs> <sighs> so I think okay, those so beers went straight to that guy's head. He's right. Like, exactly. okay, yeah, okay. Or, or, the, or, the, or the boobs, one or the other. Yeah. But here's yeah. the thing. So I was confused. So the person that's down below in the down below deck, uh-huh. I thought it was the missing police officer that the missing police officer was never really dead. But that was obviously wrong because this is the fugitive. No, yeah, and that's the fugitive. It says it's a shame because we picked him up an hour ago on the other side of the island. And then he says, uh, otherwise, I might well have believed him. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't he believe him, but I'll let him go. Well, who knows what happened to those other two? Seems, as you heard, it seems that he's killed some more people. Okay, so they don't know that the other three people really aren't dead yet. They, The cops believe that the other three people that Valeria and Marco just told them are dead are dead as a result of this fugitive. Right. Well, they have reason to suspect that those other three people might be dead. Right. And they know that the guy they just talked to in... The girl who was flashing them from the boat just told them that it was the escape killer. They know they right. have the killer in the boat with them. But then the other guy says, uh, now what? Shall we let them go? And he says, let them go? Where can they go? Like there's only one port they're going to be going to, so we're going to have them trapped anyway. Maybe they, they're just lazy cops and they're thinking, okay, those two killed those other three and I don't want to deal with it. My shift's almost over. Let's just go back to the port right? and let somebody else deal with it. So the part that's really confusing for me, and it may be because it's the subtitles versus the language, but the one, the police captain... The, the one the one guy on the police boat says, I don't get it. And the other guy says, I do. As you've heard, it seems he's killed some more people. Okay. Um, they're, they're talking about the escaped convict who they have in custody. Uh-huh. And then he says, um, it's a shame because we picked him up an hour ago on the other side of the island. Otherwise, I would have believed them. And so I guess what he's saying is, the people that just told me that the escaped convict killed their friends are lying because right. we are, we've already had him in custody for over an hour. Yeah. But he could have killed them many hours ago before they picked him up, but he was on the other side of the Island. I, you know, you don't know how big the Island is. So maybe that's yeah, I don't know. part of it. I don't know. So, okay. I, I, I'm definitely more clear on this scene than I was before. Cause I actually thought that, the, the missing police officer whose body we see, right, on the rocks, right, um, was never actually dead. And I thought that that guy was the missing police officer who was rescued and gave the other two police captain, you know, the guys on the boat, information about what really happened. Um, but that's clearly not what happened. Well, that would have made more sense because now we have a dead policeman – who has gone missing 
And I think we're supposed to think that Marco hid him, hid the body, because when Anna found him, she was expecting to see the body and he was there instead. So these cops should know there's still a missing policeman out there somewhere. And we found the third fugitive. He's in our boat. There's other stuff that doesn't make any sense going on with the people in this boat. There's other dead people that we don't really care about very much right now. We know that those two were lying, and we have reason to believe there might be three other people dead, and we (laughs) know there's still a policeman at least missing. Screw it. Let's go back to port. (laughs) (laughs) Because they can't really go anywhere. We'll eventually catch up with them. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So, okay. So that was kind of like the third reveal, which is that the police really don't believe them because they already caught the fugitive um, and he couldn't have been in two places at once. So they know that it was if anybody's dead where they were, where their boat was, it's not because of this fugitive. Right. Um, So now we go back to a scene where Valeria and Marco are on the boat and they're talking about their ultimate plans which is there's a safe full of diamonds and uh, a, and a large check. That's what it says in the subtitles anyway. Yeah. And they're going to, I guess, just cash in all that stuff and go to Lebanon, of all places, to mm-hmm. start a new life. Um, I guess, you know, growing up in the 80s, Lebanon is really not a place I would want to go to to start a new life, but maybe back in 68 it wasn't a bad place to go. Well, in the sixties, it was kind of like the, one of the vacation spots of the Mediterranean. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now we kind of have some parallels because she's talking about how, um, he's going to go with her and he's going to be her man and her invention which is something that the girls are all talking about like throughout the movie about how Fabrizio never existed before Anna met him and she's his invention or and then Marguerite says that you know she you know she needs him she constructed him or, so um, they're all talking about kind of like um crafting these these per these people out of thin air to be inventions like not actual real people I guess and I guess that's supposed to be a tie-in at the beginning. And then Marco does this weird thing where he kind of starts kidding with her. Like, how come, you know, what would you do if I decided that I didn't want to go with you and I didn't want to be your invention? And she's like, well, you can just be my guy. And then they kiss. And then he goes, no, um, but there's more to do. The, to, there's more than that, you know. Um, what if I'm not who you think I am? What if I'm not faithful? And she's like, uh, it's all part of the game. And um, he says, uh, what does he say? What if I've already betrayed you? Um, she's like, yeah, I know with, when you were with Margarita. He's like, yeah, but what about Fabrizio? So basically we're getting little tiny hints one line at a time to fill in the gaps, which is for the final twist. Well, almost final twist, which is <laughs> – the, the the last of the two twists remaining, um, mm-hmm. which is that Marco told 
Fabrizio that Valeria wanted to kill everyone and run away with Marco. Um, and Fabrizio isn't really dead. Um, we, we decided to see how far you would go with this plan. And we obviously know the answer. We want to, you know, until the others find out what you're really like. In other words, how diabolical are you really? How crazy are you? And then he says, you know, I didn't really kill anybody. Um, and the character, the Valeria character is really interesting because now that she knows that she's been betrayed, she doesn't really react in any sort of way. She's just kind of like, um, well, can you at least tell me that they were scared? Like she just wants at least something bad to have happened to them, uh, even if they're not really dead. Um, and Marco's like, yeah, well, I thought they were going to go crazy, which leads me to believe that maybe they weren't in on it. Kind of like that April Fool's Day movie where, you know, it's not until after the the, the, the fake murder happens that the person who gets murdered re realizes that it's all a joke. But up until that point, you know, they were they thought everything was serious. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but um, no, I haven't seen them. It's, you know, 80s slasher. Um, but basically the idea is that this woman hires a whole bunch of people to come to her house on April Fool's Day. And everybody gets killed one by one. But really what ends up happening is that once they get killed, they're now in on the joke. And then it comes down to one last person. And then there's the big reveal at the end. And uh, anyway, so Marco says, uh, you know, Interabang rhymes with boomerang. Dun, 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 dun. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the speedboat comes, comes, um, comes in. And at this point, I started skipping ahead 30 seconds at a time because I just couldn't watch this fucking movie anymore. Um, and now all of a sudden we have Fabrizio and all the women, Everybody. Including, including the French woman who is driving the boat. And, right. you know, this whole idea that in at least these movies, I don't know if it was really like this in real life, if you take this idea of you know, free love in the swinging 60s and everybody's doing everything and everything's serious, but none of it's serious. Like the idea that this could happen, that one of the people in the group could be as diabolical as wanting to have them all killed, but they knew that was the plan and they went along with it. And now it's just for fun. Hey, you know, it was all just for fun. Let me, let's drive the boat around you for a while and we'll take pictures of you. Yeah. And... Valeria is spinning around while she's getting her picture taken. And then she goes into pose mode towards the end of this sequence. Right. And like, she knows she's being photographed. So she does a little pose this way and she does a little pose that way. And the boat gets closer and she's winking at the camera and she's smiling at the camera. For, like she's smiling now for the first time. I think, you know, we see that she's, um, let me look at my notes here for a second. Um, she, yeah, she's modeling at this point, you know, because we know it, earlier in the film we knew that she was a model. And mm -hmm. the weirdest thing at this point happens. Um, it, I'm not really 
sure I understand exactly, but Marco is watching Valeria and Fabrizio is still taking pictures. And then Marco points his finger. I'm freeze framing this. And there's something about like a fly or a bug or an insect. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but all of a sudden <laughs> Valeria falls into the water. Marco runs to the back and turns on the motor immediately, immediately. And then Fabrizio says, Hey, what are you doing? And uh -huh. Anna turns her head in disgust. And Margarita is looking like, I can't believe what just happened. And all of a sudden Marco is like, Oh my God, what did I just do? And now they all just have this somber look like, oh, no, we've gone too far. Let me take some more pictures. <laughs> and so <laughs> Fabrizio takes out his pictures and we see blood coming out of the water. Right. The blood starts coming up out of the water and Fabrizio's like, well, got to click. <laughs> I got to click. And like the, 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 there's no body. And the, 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 the blood comes out as if it was, like, squirted out of a bottle. And, like, somebody and just popped time... a balloon full of Chef Boyardee. Right. right under the <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> right. And for the first time, we see that the name of the boat is Two Mice. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that has to do with anything. And there's Marco looking over with a very somber, surprised, sorrowful, look on his face and then off into the foreground comes the interabang symbol and roll credits right and okay so so what happened at the end did she just slip from what i've read she lost her balance okay but it's just too weird that it, it comes right after he dramatically reaches his arm out and points his finger at her like he's going to you know give her a force tickle and make her slip or something but right uh he didn't push her no. he just happened to to make that gesture right as she slipped and yes. fell in but the way he immediately runs to the the front of the boat and turns on the motor Right. So that the propellers would chop her up, like just as she's near them in the water. And I don't get that either because the way the propellers work, he would have had to put it in reverse for mm. her to be sucked into the propellers instead of pushed away from them. Or maybe that would <laughs> Yeah, well, there, yeah, there's that too, that whole physics thing. Yeah. We won't get into that at all. Yeah. But I wonder if we're supposed to think. And this doesn't make any sense because the number of times that these people jumped off the boat to go swimming in this movie is insane. So what I'm trying to say is maybe Marco thought, oh, my God, she fell in. Let me turn the boat on and turn it around so that we could pull her back out. Maybe that was the idea. I don't um, think so because it's not like they were moving. He had already stopped the boat and the other right. boat had come up and stopped. Right, so why at this point would you all, all of a sudden decide that somebody couldn't swim and we need to... Right, and there's one thing we learn throughout this film is people jump in and out of the boat all the damn time. 
Yes, they do. And they're all good swimmers. Right. To varying levels of goodness. But um, stylistically, they're not all good swimmers, but they can all float and they can all, you know, they can all avoid drowning in one way or another. It helps if you're wearing jeans. Yeah, absolutely. So the, okay. So Valeria had a plan or proposed a plan to Marco to get rid of her sister so that she could inherit the money and, uh, not have to live under her sister's thumb, which was implied in a conversation somewhere in the middle, the boring middle of the movie. Right. Marco goes and tells Fabrizio about it and Fabrizio offers him more money. That kind of doesn't make sense because the whole reason uh, Valeria's doing the plan is because she doesn't have any money. So, okay. So now <laughs> Marco tells Valeria he's going to go along with her plan, but secretly he's planning with Marco to prank her because fuck her for trying to kill us. We're going to make her feel like an idiot. And he brings in his wife and his model girlfriend in on the plan too, because they have to play along with being murdered, I guess. And this French woman, and we find out that there was gas in the boat the whole time. So the the whole thing from the very beginning was a plan. Right. Okay. Right. I think from the reaction of the other ones in the other boat, him, I don't know, point pushing her off of the boat and then turning (laughs) on the motor, that was not part of the plan. So why did he do that? I don't know, probably (laughs) because they realized, shit, we've gone this far in the movie and the only blood we've seen was painted on a rock near some guy in a cop uniform. We can't have that. Right. And here's the the weirdest part. On the Italian Wikipedia page for this film, it says um, there was a brief sequence cut out in which we see Marco, who, instigated by Valeria, seems to finish off Fabrizio, shooting him with a harpoon gun. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I can't figure out where that would have fit in. Well, because if the boat pulls up with Marco and Anna and Margarita and French girl, if Valeria turns to Marco and says, kill Fabrizio with the harpoon gun, right? He could have done that and then still whatever, not pushed her into the water and chopped her up with the motor. But But then we cut back Maybe that's the difference in the cuts because the scene where the harpoon gun, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that was a harpoon gun, but it looked like he just stabbed Fabrizio or fake stabbed him underneath the, the border of the boat right when mm-hmm. they were driving away when you still thought that the other women had been killed. Uh-huh. Like maybe that was the scene that they're referring to and it's not. Oh, Okay. It's not the sequence that we. Yeah, it's saw probably not the end. It's probably when they were fighting. Right. Okay. All right. Never mind. Derp. So that yeah. So that makes more sense then. It, I thought they were saying that that was part of the end. 
the end end. But right? it's not. Yeah, okay, because that wouldn't have made any sense at all. But again, the thing that you brought up earlier is that this the very first scene they basically say um what the hell is it um the effort to try to eliminate all of the sad and boring things in life inevitably mm-hmm. leads to tragedy right so this up until this last moment where Valeria falls off the boat and gets killed by the propellers of the ship um, was all a game. It was all playing. It was all fun. Um, varying degrees of seriousness, obviously, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, letting somebody believe that they're dead or going along with a plan to have someone kill everybody in the family and then run off with their money um, and not just saying, hey, um, that's probably not a good idea. I'm going to turn you into the police. Hey, let's go along with this plan instead and pretend we're all in on it while she, you know, to see how far you'll go. Like this whole idea of all of this is playful. All of this is a game. Nothing is really serious. And then at the very end, the one thing that is serious, which is the ultimate freedom, right? Uh, playing games is the pathway to freedom. Death is the absolute freedom. Mm-hmm. And then Marguerite says, I'm bored. That's and because this might be some kind of uh, class commentary about the, the idle rich. Right. Because they have nothing to do but go around on a boat and to sit around bored complaining about how bored they are. Right. And they come up with these goofy games to try to not be bored or in Valeria's case to try to uh, liberate herself from her older sister's hands on the purse strings, you know? Right. Right. So. But it seems like they shoehorned in the part where he, push it okay he doesn't push her off the boat but chops her up with the yeah the boat's motor well the the propellers it's like they shoehorn that in just because oh right we have to say it always ends in tragedy right we have to have an ending right and the look on his face at the end you know the, the last shot that we see he's like it looks like he's shocked or he can't believe he just did it yeah he's not like right. grinning and thumbs upping to the others. Exactly. And they all seem shocked. And, yeah. <laughs> so if you, you you can very easily believe that everything that went on in this movie was this, you know, um you know, uh this master plan by the filmmakers to incorporate all of these ideas and um, all of the metaphor and all the symbolism and, and, and match up the, the theme that starts at the beginning and the theme of boredom and the theme of freedom and the theme of playful playfulness and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. boredom 
and murder becoming just just another part of the game that makes life interesting. Um, right. It's kind of leaning towards that. Like instead of it just being a dumb movie, it's it's kind of giving me the feeling that that's you know the idea that they were that they were pushing towards. But it doesn't necessarily make me want to ever watch it again. So right. <clears throat> Well, the parts that don't make sense, no matter which ending or which plan you decide was most correct. If Valeria had a plan to kill them with Marco on this island and Marco got there ahead of them and they nobody planned or could have planned for the escaped convict to be in the area. Correct. So they couldn't have planned on blaming it on the escaped convict. So what was their story going to be? Oh, we just came to this island and somebody, who knows who, killed these three people. Yeah, right. That That's a good point. It's kind of like Marco wasn't with them on the boat to begin with. Right. He came to the island separately. Right. And... You have to believe or suspend disbelief that the idea of the, the escaped fugitive um, was part of their plan all along. I mean, I guess you could make the argument to say that maybe, you know, the escaped fugitive, the fugitives had been, at, you know, at large for a while. Mm -hmm. And maybe they knew where the fugitives were. And so Anna said, this is our opportunity. We can ride the boat out to where these fugitives are at large and we can kill all the other people and we can blame it on the fugitive. But I mean, that's kind of far fetched. Right. And the movie obviously wants us to think that Marco is the escape fugitive. Right. For, but then for if they're all in on this plan together, why are Margarita and Anna saying to each other, I think that Marco guy might be the, the fugitive. Right. Why are they saying that to each other? If and why are they this? scared? Are they acting scared for the camera? I mean, they're not acting scared um, to try to um, convince Valeria because in most of those scenes, she's not even with them. Yeah, she's not so, there. Yeah, right. they're reacting to things like it's for real right. when if you buy the ending that it was all a plot against a plot against a plot plot plot, you know? then nobody should be reacting like they're really scared unless Valeria is right in front of them. But I guess you could say, like, you know the scene where where Marco kills Marguerite? It's viewed from the cliff top. And maybe we're supposed to think that... That was for show. That was for show, and Valeria is watching from the from that cliff point to make sure that Marco does his job. Right, and I don't know if we can say the same thing about the cave drowning, but um, you know, it's possible that Marguerite, Margarita, and Anna, they don't know what's really going on, and they have to, and then they're eventually told, "Hey, you know, I, I, I that that's a little bit too much, going too yeah. far down the rabbit hole." I think. Like well, I said, maybe they're maybe they were only given as much information as they needed until it got to the point where it was like, okay, well now now I can tell you that I'm not really going to kill you. But the the whole idea of Margarita 
having to pretend that she was dying because she was being strangled. Um, right, and we see her laying there on the rocks, supposedly right. dead. Right. But if she's playing dead, she would have had to stay on those rocks for who knows how long. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I get the impression somebody just had a few you know, few reels of uh, film laying around and borrowed their uncle's boat and went to <laughs> Isla Rosa in the off season and said, fuck right. it, let's buy some bikinis and make a movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's always, that that would be the Matt, uh, the Matt Wall explanation. And we miss him very much. So we have to pay some sort of tribute to how he would, explain yeah. the way the film was made uh they wrote the ending at the end they didn't know how it was going to end you know that kind of thing um yeah maybe they were in right. a bar you know knocking back shots of sambuca and they came up with like four different endings and then at the end they said well, let's use all of them let's do them all right. yeah <laughs> why not hey, i got this balloon full of chef boyardee oh perfect <laughs> and i want to pop it you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, and the look was uh, Corrado Pani saying, I can't believe he just dumped my lunch into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <Keep it. laughs> so I wonder, like, if the movie didn't end right there, the police eventually show up. And I don't know how they decide who to arrest. Yeah, there should be a sequel. <laughs> Later, that day at the port. <laughs> And I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. Yeah. Um, anyway, I did a quick scoring. Um, I did not write or properly score the film for my website because uh, I'm lazy and I really should get to doing that. But this is the first film that we've covered in a while that I haven't already put on the website. So, uh -huh. um, But the film gets a 58 on the Jalo score, which is kind of wow. high for a film that really doesn't you know hit any of these major criteria but we have an italian director um and we have a general mystery which i used to call a hidden identity which i guess you could make a claim for hidden identity applies here but it's more about somebody isn't who they say they are or something like that so it gets points for that it gets points for being part of the pre-classic period between okay. 68 and 69 um, the motivation of the killer, even though there really wasn't any murders, is blackmail or monetary gain, which gives it some points. Um, but go ahead. That's the thing. Watching the film, you think there's oh, Margarita got murdered. Oh, Anna got murdered. Then you find out neither one of them got murdered. Right. And Fabrizio didn't get murdered either until the very last. 30 seconds of the film the only killing in the whole movie is the dead cop that was laying on Correct. the rocks so Correct. what would the body count for this film be would it be one or two or the body count doesn't it, it doesn't get points for a body count because there's really only i think your body count it gets points for three or more bodies. oh right there's an, a minimum to get the point but okay this whole idea of quote-unquote the killer's motivation, I'm just calling it Valeria 
and her, her motivation and her eventual um, demise is an accidental death. So she gets extra points for that. Um, okay. We've got an Italian location. We have a mistaken identity, which means that you know they think that they've captured the killer or they think that we've identified the killer, but it really isn't the right one. Um, gets points for an accomplice. It gets points for a nude scene. It gets points for suspects because we really don't know who's in on what until the end. Right. Um, and then the signatures, there aren't that many. A J&B bottle, um, modeling, photography, um, cheating, which I may not even give it a point for cheating because kind of the whole idea with cheating is that the other person doesn't approve. <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean? And like that really wasn't what was going on there. And then um, a point for gaslighting, um, mm. which I gave because it kind of happened in a bunch of different ways and a bunch of different times. People were under the impression that something, well, I don't know, maybe not. Because like, the definition of gaslighting is um, you think you're telling me that this is what happened and I'm trying to convince you that you're crazy. Right. And I don't think that really happened in the movie, did it? I mean. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. I think if it would have happened, somebody would say, no, you didn't see a dead policeman laying on the rocks. And that never right. happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's actually 56 points now that we've made those distinctions. Um, but what's really missing from the score is all of those little signature things that you know we come to know as the typical Jalo uh, stuff, like there's an airplane. Um, let's see, uh, you know, in an urban location. There's a funeral. There's motorcycle racing. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of those that you know the film doesn't doesn't do at all, and so that's where it lost most of its points. So. Um, an interesting film and definitely one that I think if you're, you know, you can, you may not agree with me, Al, but I think if you're interested in understanding, you know, what the, you know, the landscape of filmmaking was like at this particular period, as it relates to what it eventually evolved into when Argento decided to kind of, um, like really hone in on the details of the genre like this is an interesting one to watch and to look at and to to you know to to take into consideration but um other than that it's not really one that you know i would go back to again right with the, ex with the exception of the fact that you know like you said this may have the most skin female skin of any of the jalos that we've ever or Jolly that we've ever covered before, but mm -hmm. you know. what about you? What was, what's your, what's your final thoughts on this? Uh, I'm glad I've seen it. I read about this film years ago, but never really bothered to, to track it down and watch it until it came up for this. Uh, if I'd stopped to think just how much this has in common with Top Sensation, I probably would have watched it five minutes after I watched Top Sensation. <laughs> right. But um, 
Yeah, I think if you're looking for the more Argento-type jolly, this would not do much for you. If you're yeah. curious about late 60s uh, type films that try to do a nod towards Antonioni uh, type boredom uh, approach to cinema where things are long and drawn out and it's a very slow burn for the plot and you're interested in 60s fashion, especially bikinis, then this could be right up your alley. Right. Uh, I could very easily see myself watching this again, especially if it comes out on Blu-ray, but it's not one that I would put on unless I was doing something else, you know, like, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's any kind of housework, you know, putting together Ikea furniture. I might put it on. (laughs) Right. Well, I think that you have an advantage. Um, in being able to speak to the rewatchability of this film because you don't necessarily have to look at it to understand what's happening because you can understand the Italian language. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, um, it's just an extra step of effort for somebody like me who doesn't understand Italian language to watch a movie like this because... I'm constantly torn between um, watching it and trying to interpret what they're saying and reading the subtitles. It may be, and I, you know, I'm not going to do this anytime soon. I've got probably way more, you know, a, a, a long list of things that I would do before I tried this. But if I watched it again, I might turn the subtitles off because uh-huh. now that I've seen it twice, I know what it's about. Maybe watching it just for the sake of its own visuals and, again, one of the reviews that I read, the person who reviewed it said, the middle section is almost meditative. Like it's just one scene after the next after the next, which from a visual standpoint is kind of the same thing over and over again. The rocks, the boat, the bikinis, the swimming, the rocks, the boat, the bikinis, the swimming. Um so that might be a reason for me to watch it again, which would be to turn off the subtitles, you know? And so like the dialogue would mean nothing to me. It would just, it would sound like gibberish and it would just be kind of a a noise in my ear as I'm watching. And that's kind of what meditative, uh, what a meditative state is all about. Like you, you, you turn off the part of your brain that is trying to make logical sense out of, you know, your senses and instead you're kind of zoned into mm-hmm. something else. Um, yeah, one thing I used to do back in university days, I would put on a silent film like uh, The Shake or some old Greta Garbo thing or Charlie Chaplin. And I would turn the volume down on the TV and just put some completely unrelated music on a CD on the stereo right. and just sit and watch like that. Uh, as far as like a meditative middle section of this film, that might be something worth doing. Yeah. Like if you have some kind of, uh, well, I don't know, any kind of music that you dig. Right. Just put it on and, you know, don't, you don't have to sit there and stare at the TV the whole time like you're watching the film. <laughs> right. But, you know, just to have some 
groovy stuff to listen to, some groovy stuff to look at happening at the same time. Yeah. Might be. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Because, you know, I it's, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, you know, you're, it's just the scene. It's not, your attention isn't 100% focused on the movie. It's like, it's a scene, man. Like there's, imagine you have people over and yeah. you're playing like some sort of like crazy, you know, funky 60s music and everybody's kind of hanging around and mm-hmm. having cocktails and talking and then this film is on in the background yeah and that would that would kind of be a good reason to watch it again yeah it's definitely eye candy ish for sure yeah um okay if i ever watch this again it's not going to be for the damn plot I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. let's be honest yeah <laughs> Great. So let's um, let's do this for next time. Um, I hinted at this in the beginning of the podcast, which we recorded ages ago, about the idea that we would give the Facebook group an opportunity to vote on what movie we talk about next. And so I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you have one um, in your queue that you are dying to talk about on the next episode, if you would... Uh, offer that up as a suggestion and then I'll offer mine and then we'll throw it up there and see um, which one wins and then whichever one wins we do that one next and then whichever one doesn't win we'll do that one after um, okay it obviously works better when you have three people but that's okay we can do it with two right so, um, uh, well I think another recommendation or suggestion that we've had in the recent past uh, one that I mistook for a completely different film was Diabolique, the, ah, okay. the French film right. from 50-something. Uh, so I think that would be my suggestion. Okay. Because well, that, that kind of keeps in with the proto-Jalo theme that we've been on recently. and Yes. Uh, not that I would mind getting back to classic Jalo period, but... Right. I think because somebody has recommended it, and it's a pretty decent film. That, uh, okay, cool. And I've never know. seen it, so. Okay. And I think there's, I think there's, uh, if you have HBO, I think they have it in in their catalog right now, so it's easy to watch. Okay. If you have an HBO subscription, um, although I think internationally, like certain movies aren't available on HBO that are available in other places, so I don't, I don't even know, but. Um, if you have a DVD or a blue copy of it, then that's that's good as well. Um, okay, great. Like I, I'm with you on continuing to to exhaust these proto Jalo films as much as possible. I have I have waited so long, and I have watched so many movies prior to Bird. Um, I just want to, you know, do as many as I possibly can before I just can't take it anymore um so you're delay the gratification delay the gratification exactly and your 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 suggestion to do diabolique is a good one but also because i really want 
Matt to be in on the discussion whenever we talk about Bird, whenever that happens. Okay. So I'm kind of holding, I'm, I'm kind of holding that film like that. Uh, what did we call? It's not really a redemption episode because redemption basically means that we want to, we want to give it some credit where we didn't give it credit before. And I think that it's just, it's we're just revisiting um, Bird after however many years and how many, however many podcast episodes later. Um, episode one, where I wasn't even on the podcast, they talked about Bird. So right. coming into it now with all of this background of all of the, you know, the films that led up to Bird, I'm just trying to do as many of those as possible. So anyway, my point is I like that suggestion very much. And because Diabolique is considered kind of a serious art film. Well, I don't serious, know if Diabolique would count as an art film. I think of it more as a uh, like a French Hitchcock film, okay, but, as opposed but, to like a French Fellini or a French. Okay, um, but you could dark. see why Diabolique might, necess- might might wind up as a film in a in a film criticism college course, for example. Uh-huh. Um, but the film that I was going to suggest will definitely not end up in a film college course and that's called murder by music uh also known as the trumpets of the apocalypse i believe it also has a couple of movie posters where it's called perversion story which obviously um is in direct conflict with the lucio fulci film called perversion story of the same year um, which got renamed one on top of the other. So it's it's very confusing. So this film is from 1969. Um, it is what I would consider to be a little bit more of a classic giallo, uh, where you have a you know, kind of a black glove killer, but it's really wacky, like super wacky. And the girl that you wanted to talk about, who is in The Insatiables, is mm-hmm. in this movie. She's the hippie girl. Um, Ramina Power. Also, yeah, she's also the hippie girl in the other movie. So, huh. Um, Little typecast. Yeah, Romina Power, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my suggestion. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're still listening, thank you, by the way. Um, <laughs> for next time, head over to the Facebook group. If you're not a Facebook group member already, and if you really like the podcast and you would like to have a say in what film we do next, um, join our Facebook group. It's called Jalo Chow Chow Volume 2. There will be a poll that I will pin to the top of the page that says which film should we do next. Diabolique from 19, what is it, 59 maybe? 50-something. Mm, I'm not um, sure. The, 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 French, the French film that most people say is the basis for all of these you know, subsequent mystery films or the movie uh, affectionately known as murder by music, also known as the trumpets of the apocalypse, also sometimes known as um, perversion story. So those are their two choices. Uh, Once again, everybody make sure that uh, uh, not to repeat myself too many times, go to our Facebook group. What I just also wanted to plug my website, which is thejaloscore.com, and I hate mattwall.com. Uh, even though Matt couldn't be with, with us today, we will always 
give him a plug. If you take a look at the show notes for this episode, the link to the YouTube for the film that we were talking about uh, is in there. But if you got all the way through to the end of the podcast, it's kind of not important anymore. Um, <laughs> you can uh, email us if you'd like. It's jalochowchow at gmail.com. Uh, Al, it has been fun, as always. Thank it's you fun. for your insights. Thank you. Uh, wait, got to do my, my Matt Wall wind-up. Hold on a second. Huh. All right. So until next time, everybody, ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.